Hello, everyone. My name is Richie Sanchez, and this is the Ping Pong Pizza Party, a new podcast that I started up recently, trying to connect El Pasoans and talk about cool stuff that's going on in town, whether it be mountain biking, hiking, climbing, anything outdoors, art, food, really anything anyone wants to talk about, real life, connecting real Pasoans in this community that we have and share. And on today's episode, episode one, I got to talk to my good friend, Dave Wilson, aka Big Dave, who's a mountain bike enthusiast and longtime advocate for the local trail system in the Franklin Mountain State Park. Aside from being a physics teacher, he's also the owner of Nuclear Sunrise Stitchworks, which is a custom frame uh, bicycle frame bag company. He makes really cool stuff, and he's just a really, really nice dude. I've known Dave for a really long time, and it was nice to catch up with him. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I, I hope you do too. Thanks to everyone who's supported me in this endeavor. Feels weird <laughs> to be doing this, but uh, you know, getting out of the comfort zone and, and having some fun with it. Thanks to my wife, thanks to all my friends, and also thanks to my uncle out in Los Angeles, Stony with Bad Seed Studios, for helping me with uh, all the technical aspects of getting the podcast up and running. So I hope you enjoy. Uh, there's more to come. Thanks, Big Dave. Here we go. Speaking of tapes, so I'm moving, as you know. Yeah, man, I'm going to miss you. I've been going through all my crap, and I found a stash of the old bootleg tapes I used to collect back in the day. I had hundreds of Grateful Dead and all this stuff. And at one point in time, I sorted through them, and I kept like 20 crispy stuff, like soundboards. Like I was at the show and had my tape deck daisy-chained off another tape deck that was attached to the soundboard. Widespread Panic, Blues Traveler, All Good Music Company. And so I threw away all the junky ones years ago. And I find this stash and I put it up on Facebook Marketplace. Anybody want these? I found this kid in Florida that wanted them. He paid shipping and he's all super stoked. Yeah, so like those days of Pressing that one little button, the Dolby, the Dolby button to get rid of all that hiss, you know? So yeah, so you got rid of all that. You press the Dolby button by turning off those other mics we're not using. I'm le- I'm learning as I go, man. I got my uncle out in, in LA. Shout out to Stoney. <laughs> uh, I forget what he called, Bad Seed Customs or something like that. I'll have to look it up and then put it in the intro later. But he has been... Huge and like teaching me all this recording stuff. Um, he's a lifelong musician, and uh, it's actually funny, man. He uh, he taught me my first guitar chord when I was tiny. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah. he's like my older brother, kind of so sick, and uh, my mom's youngest brother actually. So we're fairly close in age, but yeah, man. He told me this. We're recording on the Zoom Pod Track P4 is what it's called, and uh, these mics are the. They just came with them. They're like also Zoom mics or whatever. And per his recommendation, so like all this getting rid of hiss and blah, 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 all this like technical stuff. 
the, the pod should get better. Yeah. This is. I mean, I was, <laughs> I, I bought a, a yeah. blue mic to do originally to do podcasts. Like I said, I was gonna. I wanted Don Baumgart. He's not in El Paso anymore. He's now up in Denver. Sub Don. Yeah. Right. God, I miss <laughs> Don. Yeah, yeah, dude, he was awesome. He was down here a little while ago. Of course, he never contacts me to do anything with him. He just he doesn't. He tolerates me. <laughs> But uh, we all do. But he, uh, I bought this blue mic with a little filter screen, and I ended up using it a lot with my Zoom classes. And I record a lot of those classes and post them up. And after a while, I gave up on that because kids weren't watching it, and was taking up a bunch of space on my computer and things like that. So, and those sound pretty good, and they're cheap. They're like sixty dollars. But this stuff, yeah, from what I'm hearing through my headphones here, this is crispy. Yeah, man, I'm stoked. I got the capability to have up to four people on here. I have mics and headsets enough for three. But But you've got four tracks on that. Yeah, I I have a full setup. So um, if anyone's hearing this, they want to jump on. And you can use that to do music and all that stuff too. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to play around with it. Yeah, I'm I'm stoked. I laid down some tracks. I wrote a, I actually fiddled around on guitar. Um, and I, like a few nights ago, last week sometime, I don't know, I just couldn't sleep, had energy, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Came back here, turned on the the recorder and played this, this tune that I kind of like, it's my go-to. Right. I feel like a lot of people, they play guitar, they have like those one or two songs that they, they, that's what they know and they fuck around with. And then, uh, yeah, so I wrote this little song, this little tune, um, and I may put it on the intro music. It's just the instrumental yeah, little strumming like thing. For that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> no royalties. Yeah, <laughs> wrote it for my daughter when she was a baby after she was born, um, and it's just real fun to play. And uh, recorded it, listened back to it, and was like, "Whoa, that's cool!" You know, I never have done that before. So, pod podcast stuff, yeah, but also, um, you know, I come from a family of musicians, and I and I just never. You know, like I just have an acoustic guitar, you know, yeah. and uh, so it felt like oh shit, better late than never. Like about time. Oh, there's like it sparked something like in front inside it, me. It was awesome. That's awesome. I, I you know I I grew up kind of in music. I, like, my mom forced me to take piano lessons, and I I did it for two years. And I was actually I got decent. I like did two recitals like once a year for my school, and my second recital was a really complicated piece. And things just started getting harder, and I got to the age where I was like, my the, our piano was set where if I just looked over my shoulder, I could see outside and the basketball court and all my buddies and stuff. And I'm just like, I don't want to be in here doing this. I want to be outside. And so I just I gave it up then. And then later I played clarinet because my mom had a clarinet. She got it refurbed, and uh, so I played that a little with a this middle school jazz band and the teacher was having a sight read, which was a lot different than reading music. And I was like, well, why don't we just read music? Cause that's what I did before. And I'd like to continue to be able to read music. And then I played drums the next year and I sucked at the drums. I mean, my whiteness just, <laughs> just came through so much. I couldn't keep rhythm to save my freaking life. And there was this other kid that wanted to play drums and we'd trade off and I'd go back to clarinet every now and then that kind of thing. But it's, it's funny. It's like, I've been teaching high school physics now for 13 years and I, I have, I love waves and sound, but when we start teaching about like B 
beats and things like that. I have, I struggle trying to teach that stuff. And my music kids who say they don't like science, you start like pulling that stuff out on them and then it starts to click. And then they go like, we do waves kind of like middle of the second semester. And then we just covered it a few weeks ago and they're like, every, they go, go back and start like, getting everything else we did in the first semester with mechanics and stuff like that. It's crazy. Because it's all based on that stuff. Yeah. And it's like the kids who do music in school do better at math. They do better at science. A lot of them say they don't like science, but if you've got a good music teacher, and we had a really good one for a while. He's at a different high school now. David Gunn, shout out to him. He um, was doing a bunch of stuff with um, these uh, these wave-making devices where they'd like, put the a little piece of styrofoam in the node of the sound wave so you couldn't see it but you could, styrofoam would just be floating there in the node of the sound wave these these basically like hypersonic speakers or whatever that he had just yeah he did all kinds of crazy stuff and he'd always come borrow my equipment because i had all i have a million dollar lab with a bunch of rad equipment and some of it's like oscilloscopes and stuff like that he could use to do that stuff so yeah that sounds so, fun. <laughs> so when you find a teacher like that, those kids did really well in my science class. And a couple of them were in my principal's technology class, and they just slayed it. I don't know what they're doing now, but I hope they're doing something that's either in engineering or the trades or something with music and production and all that. Because he had a music production class. Man, and he taught guitar awesome. and choir. So... I love teachers like that. Like yeah. growing up, you know, I hear you talking about this guy and, and how he's like super into showing, you know, not just here, read this out of a book, blah, blah, blah. But that's what I loved about science and music class, especially growing up. Like, yeah, remember the recorders? You get to do, man. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You start with a recorder. Yeah, like, and then there was one. this other thing it's that so it fun. was like a harp, it's not a, not a harpsichord, but like this weird little thing that had all these strings on it. What the hell is that thing called? I, they'd make us learn how to play that thing. That was just an insane little weird instrument. And then, uh, or maybe it was a harpsichord. No, harpsichord's like a piano. Um, but um, it'll it'll probably come to me in a little bit. But yeah, it's it's hands-on learning. And that's been the great thing about teaching physics and having a lot of great lab equipment. You don't have to set up really complicated labs. It can be very simple labs. And kids can either, they'll see it and if, and sometimes they can feel it. Yeah. And just by feeling it, it's a big thing. And then I'm one of those teachers that makes the kids set up their lab equipment. And then like at the end of class, okay, you have five minutes. Put it all back the way it was before you came when you came into class. Yeah. Because I want the other class to set it up also. Because the setup, I mean, I'll have kids that they'll start turning a wing nut. And the next thing you know, the wing nut falls out because they turn it the wrong direction. So they don't know righty tighty. You know, I got kids that grow up in apartment complexes and have never picked up a screwdriver to fix anything because you just call maintenance yeah so they miss out on so much stuff their their dexterity sucks their um uh, you know their ability to kind of like fiddle with stuff and try to make stuff work just totally sucks like but at the same time they'll they'll grab a dang rubik's cube and play with that thing all day or a fidget spinner when it comes to something of value it, it doesn't translate that well you know so it's like Get having, I know you wanted to talk about our after school bike shop, and that was man, we were killing it for a while there. Of course, this year's being with the lockdown and quarantine and kids not wanting to go to school, we've only had a couple kids come by and get help this year. But 
um, hopefully my partner will, he, he, I know he's going to keep it rolling. He's been in there doing a lot of work, getting it all straight. Yeah, but, man. Um, yeah, it's, uh, learning is, is fun. School sucks. <laughs> and I tell my students, I hate school. And they're like, what, you hate school? And I'm like, yeah, I don't like, like I was in grad school and I just did not like doing research. I love being in the lab and I was in kinesiology and I had, you know, I love getting those Kenyan guys on the treadmill and guys who thought they were fast and strong out there to do stuff and, and seeing what the numbers really were. That was super fun. But then like doing a hundred of them. And then running all these statistics and their numbers and writing and all that stuff. No, I, that wasn't for me. Was, uh, <laughs> no. no, man. Like I, I was smiling pretty hard when you were talking about uh, just the kids and the hands-on thing and the setting up and then putting putting the stuff back. Yeah, like that's a huge lesson. Like, yeah, you know, the it's discipline like, and all yeah. That, so yeah. like I have. I used to have these really sweet tables. You open a drawer and there was a foam cutout space for everything in my lab equipment. They took the tables away because they remodeled my school and they took the tables away because they didn't want old furniture in the new school. And it was fairly new stuff. It was only like four years old. And I was just like, are you kidding me? And they were butcher block tops, great tables. So kids would like graffiti them up. I just hit it with a sander and, uh, you know, we're good to go. But I, now I've got this Ikea classroom crappy cabinets and stuff like that and I just took all those foam things out cut them up best I could and sandwiched them into these drawers and so whoever takes over my class next year is going to be walking into a basically wet dream of a physics classroom you know nice. and I hope they I hope they take advantage of it and use the equipment uh, very fortunate to be in a, a title one school which means we get a lot of money and then a few years back Texas tried to make physics a class that everyone had to take to graduate high school and they gave it a star test you know and no one could pass the star test and all these parents were bitching why do my kid have to take physics that's for science people and blah 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 and it's hard and all this other stuff and i'm like well i got kids that thought they would suck at it and they're doing really well you know and then this principles of technology class i got was given to us by a corporation that's pushing trades like union apprenticeships and things like that. And they took the class away from me. Like they stopped enrolling kids into it and they were putting in the crappiest kids, like kids that were like way behind and didn't have their algebra yet and all this other stuff. And the first semester I'd float them. I mean, I'm like, all right, you guys, you guys doing, if you're doing your work and setting up these labs and trying to get this data, I'm going to give you a 70. And so I had a ton of kids and some of them I'd like, bust them down like 66 or something like that, meaning they'd have to make 74 to pass the next, you know, the whole year. And the second semester comes around and they start to get into this rhythm of like, okay, now we're going to do the water, the the fluids lab, the fluid portion of this stuff. And then we're going to do the electrical portion. So you would do mechanical, electrical, thermal, and fluids. And then you step it up a notch and you do mechanical again fluids, thermal, electrical, whatever order it was in. I can't remember. But, uh, and, and just, we ended up going through, in one year, I went through six cycles of that. And by the time you're near the end of that third cycle, the kids are like, okay, this is what we got to do. And they open up the book, they read the instructions. The ones that read the instructions, they got everything set up. Other kids are over there goofing off. 
They look and see what other guys are doing. They try to copy what they see instead of reading, that kind of thing. They fall behind. They start to learn, hey, I got we got to read. Who in this group can read? Because I got high school kids that can't read. Wow. Yeah, it's awful. And uh, or they'll they'll what they'll do is they'll read and they get to a hard word, they'll skip the word and keep reading. I'm like, wait, 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 you need to go back. That word's important. Every word is in these textbooks are important because they've written these as technical manuals and they're simple. They, the technical manual has to get simplified because they don't want to take up space. They don't want to take up time. Every word means something. And so they're learning all that stuff. And by the end of the year, some of these kids are killing math stuff that they've never killed in math before. That's and sick. then all of a sudden their, their algebra scores start to come up because they're starting to understand what their algebra teacher is trying to get them to do. And I, I don't, I'm, not a, I'm no mathematician or algebra teacher at all, but I play one in my physics class and I teach it completely different than the way these math teachers do. And for a lot of kids, when they're like, oh, oh, I get this now. And then they go back to their, fit, their math teacher and they're like, why don't you teach it like Mr. Wilson does? And they're told, well, that's not how we're supposed to teach it. We're supposed to teach it a certain way. And I'm all like, bruh, you don't teach it a certain way. You got to differentiate and you got to teach as many different ways as you can, you know, to get through to all these kids. And so I think one of the main problems we have in public schools, at least before the pandemic, is we just had so many kids in these classes of all different levels. And they're afraid to take like all the upper level kids and put them together. They want them mixed with all these other kids. And that helps to a certain extent, but it makes the, take, makes the process for those really smart kids that get things really quick. They don't learn as much through the year as they could. And you can't get them to do extra, what they call enrichment work. You can't get them to do that because do I get a grade for it? I'm like, okay, well, yeah, I can like help your, well, you already have 100 on everything. No, hmm. what am I going to do? Just give you another hundred? You know, it doesn't matter. I'm just giving you enrichment work to get this to for you to learn more stuff. But like, well, I don't want to. If it's not for a grade, I don't want to do it. So if they're not getting compensated for it, they're not going to do it. And I get it. I totally understand why they want to. I mean, I'm that way in the real world. It's like, do I really want to spend my time doing that? Will I be compensated for it? Is it worth my time? You know, do I get some sort of reward? Does it at least like? Make me feel more like a rock star. I don't know. You know, it's like it, it's hard to be, it's difficult to be selfless in this day and age. And at the same time, I think it's easy to do things that are selfless and still come out with some sort of profit. Not, I'm not talking financial profit. I'm talking like, like you've bettered a relationship that you need to have or that will help you in the future. Or you've uh, made a connection with somebody who's going to help you take the next step with whatever you want to do. And that's, that's what you get out of it. And, you know, I, I had this like five, six years of dating all these amazing women in El Paso. And I learned so much from so many of them. And it's kind of funny. My dad always told me to date up. And I, I did. I was like dating doctors and attorneys and things like that. And you, the ones that are successful, they have a vast network of colleagues, friends, neighbors that will do. They'll do anything for them. And so when you when you get those people in your life, you 
definitely want to, you know, do what you can with them. I've had been lucky to have that in education and I've been lucky to have that in my side gig. And, you know, in the side gig, I've just been kind of muting and I haven't really taken advantage of what's out there for it because I just, I'm not ready. I wasn't, haven't been ready to go bonkers with it. And I know it's going to go bonkers when I, when I want it to. And so you're leaving that means like you're, t- you're, you're leaving El Paso. And like you said earlier, um, to, to do that, right. So like your side gig to, to go full time with it. That's the plan. So I, oh, yeah, I've met, I met an amazing woman. Her name is Kirsten Peterson. She's a co-owner of Rim Tours, which is the pretty pretty much the largest and oldest mountain bike tour company in the country, based in Moab, Utah. She's been in Moab for thirty one years, something like that. And she, like, she's never raced. She's like that done some like twenty four hour stuff, things like that. But um, just like around Moab. Good excuse to be on your bike all day long. She And she's Literally. strong. She's such a strong rider. She's <laughs> older than me. She's hella smarter than me. She's way more attractive than I am. <laughs> but uh, um, And she's just really cool spirit. And like she knows all. So like our, our Venn diagram of friends has a, a pretty solid overlap. And, you know, so like I sit down with her friends and... Her friends are friends with my friends, you know? So it's, it's super cool. And I, like when I was there this past fall, eating breakfast with a guy from white industries who started Soulcraft, who knows my buddy from college, who started the Soulcraft fanboy page. And my buddy from college works for Wahoo fitness used to work for Greg Lamond and Spinergy wheels and all that stuff. So it's like, it's Small like, world, yeah, right. And, it's like, <laughs> and so, it, and and then the other night, she's like, "I'm going out to the the Amasaback Trailhead, which is where by parks for uh, Captain Ahab." Um, I was supposed to go for a ride, but I didn't have time. Been she's been working her ass off. I mean, this woman worked so hard to keep this company running, and she's got a a co owner, and he works super hard too, and he does a lot more guiding than she does. Um, and he's a he's a mountain bike hall of famer, and. Uh, they, you know, she's like, I'm going to go out to this party. And Scott Nichols is there and the, whoever from I-9 is going to be there. And he always throws these big parties and he had like stereo system and all that stuff out there. So had a big old party out at the massive back trailhead the other night. I, mean, I don't know who Scott Nichols is, but this party sounds great. You don't know who Scott Nichols is? <laughs> uh, no, man. Ibis Bikes. Oh, right on. I know Ibis Bikes, yeah. Yeah, he started Ibis Bikes. As much as I love bicycles and the bicycle world and like I know you like Soulcraft and, and Ibis and all that stuff. Like I don't know who's who. Like in then racing world too. Like I I love races and going to them. I've right. been to countless races and shit. Like I mean bike company, you know, like RIP bike company, shout out to Mike Rosson and the boys. Woo. We uh you know we we were I know what the racing like what a good mountain bike race is. Yeah. I know what like all encompasses but the like the racing world and like who's who in the bigger picture yeah. like no idea never <laughs> like yeah and, and, like and, tour stuff and like people would come into the bike shop and they want to talk racing with me and assume that I knew because right because you work at a bike because I work at a bike shop and I'm yeah, yeah. And, I, like, and that's uh, just a small <laughs> fraction of your of your uh, market and like I'm listening to these podcasts this this um, adventure cycling podcast they just interviewed it's called uh, what's the name of their podcast it's um oh it's a like a girl's name. Uh, Dynamo Jenny 
is the name of the podcast, and it's the Adventure Cycling Podcast. Okay. And so it's a, a young lady who hosts it, and she's been interviewing a lot of uh, women in cycling, in adventure cycling. Interviewed a young lady who had a shop in Portland, and she opened the shop because all these bike shops she went to, these bros that would look down to her and you know just kind of treat her like a girl. And that so sucks. she started her own shop. And it went gangbuster, and she just sold the shop to a friend. Sick, you know. So it's like it's your your market. It's funny. So like, I have this one product called the Silo. It's this little silly round feed bag. It's basically like a rip off of a chalk bag, but it's got a hole in it. So when you like get in the rain and stuff, it'll drain out. Or if you like have a nasty little melted bar in there, you can wash it out, right? I've got and, a silo. It's the shit. I'm not just saying that. And it's, what's really funny is I, I, never, I never wanted to make a feedback. I, I didn't want to compete with the feedback that was out there on the market. I didn't want to compete with it. But at the same time, people were like, hey, make a feedback. And I'm looking at the feedback that's on the market, and it's way complicated. And I'm like, how do they make it for that much money? It's like, that's too too little. They're not doing a profit. And then it's like, things would fall apart on that feedback. And it's like, oh, it's like, that mesh on the outside blows out after a while. So you don't need mesh on the outside. No one's after a while, no one's going to use it. Well, time out. Hold on. Let me ask. Well, I got to assume, right. We, that maybe <laughs> somebody will hear this podcast someday <laughs> that, you know, doesn't know what the fuck we're talking about with feedbacks and all these people and this and that. So I, I want to ask you, like explain, first of all, tell them, what your company name is and like what you do let, to like we'll do the, let me do it the after the feedback dumbass, story like me, no, just let me do it after the, after the feedback story <laughs> right, I'll, right. I'll do that all right so <laughs> so i make this feedback and i'm like okay this works for me i like it it's cool and i post a picture of it up on my instagram page i'm like hey give me a name for this feedback and uh i'll, I'll send you one for free and so uh, this, a bunch of people gave me these names, and they, I told them, I said, it has to be related to my company name. My company name is Nuclear Sunrise Stitchworks, which was a little bit of a pipe dream. Um, and, and it had to do with the fact that I was reading this 800-page book on the atomic bomb at the time, and I was sharing it with my students. And one of the students said that he had a grandmother or somebody or a, you know, what do you call your great Tia or whatever? I don't know, some sort of aunt that was out walking her dog super early one morning, way out on the east side out by like Horizon when it was just Colonius and stuff out there. And um, not even like Colonius, like maybe house, just a couple houses here and there. And she sa- said that she saw a glow to the north, like the sun was rising, but then it went away and then the sun finally came up. So the sun rose twice. And that's something they talk about in the, so the day of the first test of the atomic wow. bomb was that, you know, the sun rose twice that day That's on the nuts. planet Earth or whatever. <sighs> and so it's, um, so I came up with the name Nuclear Sunrise Stitchworks and I, I had just gotten out of this phase of my life where I was like doing some competitive firearm stuff because I was like needed a break from bike racing. And I ha- I've always had this like kind of survivalist apocalyptic mentality about myself because I grew up in a military college with a bunch of paranoid guys and you know, all that stuff. So I just kind of like fed on that. And so this guy comes up with this name silo for this bag and I'm all stoked and I send him a silo and he sends me a picture back and it's this super tall stem hybrid bike on a bike path. And I'm thinking, well, shit, man, this has got a bigger market than just bike packers. Yep. So, and 
I've, I had a ton of orders this past year from Brooklyn. <laughs> Hell yeah. And I'm like, Brooklyn, what the hell's going on in Brooklyn? And I, I made a friend here. She was here shooting a documentary and she lives in Brooklyn. I'm like, is she like talking my shit up or what's up? She doesn't bike or anything like that. She's just, a, she's a, a filmmaker. And uh, so, you know, I'm thinking, how is, I know she's not talking up and I, I'd let her know and she said yeah, I'm not talking to you up I don't she doesn't really even know anything about what I do um for that stuff and uh so <laughs> so I sent out a survey of these guys and half of them are fixie townie riders and the other half are actual bike packer gravelers stuff like that they all mentioned the same shops because I asked them what shop do you think I should be in and they all every one of them mentioned there were two shops that they all mentioned and there's others in there too. But uh, so I found that quite fascinating. And you, I think that if you get into the mindset of feeding a certain market, you're missing out. Yeah. You're completely missing yeah, out. Yeah, totally. And, and I get it. I get it when a customer's like, I mean, I worked at an REI store for six years when I was right out of college and up in Salt Lake, third largest store in the, in the chain. Or in the, I shouldn't call it a chain. It's an organization. It's a co-op. Co-op. You know. So, um, but you get all these customers that they'd never really done anything outdoors, and they just wanted something super basic, or they had a bike and they wanted, you know, to feel more comfortable on it. And so you just sold them things that you just probably wouldn't sell your true biking buddies. You know, but you know it would make them more comfortable and happy. And that's important, man. That's, that's totally important. That's, yeah, your customer is always right. And even though they may not know, um, you try to educate them so they know better and they don't hurt themselves. Of course, you don't want them riding something that's unsafe. So, yeah. But yeah, so uh, I think from what I've been seeing on my Facebook um, memories, um, eight years now as Nuclear Sunrise Stitchworks, I was like number three or four in the bike bag specific bike bag business. There was the the big competition um, who I'll stay silent on, and they're still out there and they're big. They're huge. They're getting stuff made overseas. Still doing a lot of stuff in the states. Um, and then uh, being a teacher, I was happy doing that. I loved having the summers off, and just kind of kept doing it for fun and started keeping track of numbers to do taxes and things like that and looking at like, okay, do I, can I do this full time? Um, I advertised in Don's GeoBetty map. That was like the only place I ever paid for advertising other than like sending off product to some random gravel events that guys would hit me up on. I've got four or five bike shops that call me once or twice a year to order stuff. What do you got? I got this shop in Norfolk now, NFK bike shop. Where's Norfolk? In Virginia. Oh, right on. And it's all like townie and fixie riders. And they buy 25, 30 silos at a time. And then they're sold out and they're ordering more silos from me. It's a good product. And it's like, holy crap, man, I got to make more silos. So I'm leaving silo production here in El Paso with my buddy Eddie Sanchez, who's just a full on. No relation. No relation. No relation. (laughs) But he's a a full on, just a. uh, an enduro downhill style rider that just loves to get at it. And uh, he's also a math teacher, and he's going to attempt to keep up for me. Sick. And uh, gave another 
job cutting foam to a lady who, who's disabled and can't teach anymore. And uh, so she just cuts foam sitting in her chair watching TV all day. So it'll still be an El Paso-based company? Well, that product, that bags. one product will be. The silo will be an El Paso-made bag. It's <laughs> hey, hilarious, Eddie. right? That's awesome. So, and Eddie loves to go up to Moab to ride up there. And he says, well, I'll be able to ride off the trip. I'm like, yes, sir, you will. Dope. You know, if you bring it up there, you bring a load of them <laughs> up. Yeah, and which might be about the same price as shipping at UPS. You know, give them 50 bucks for gas and come on up. That's awesome, man. So. Product testing. <laughs> but you make you make a lot of stuff. You make uh well not only the bags, but you're a pretty cool sewer, I guess. I don't want to Yeah, seamstress, whatever you want to call it. Uh um fabricator. Lily has this uh this cool like handbag purse thing that you the, that you such made. Such a pain in the ass to make that. <laughs> So there's so many products that are really it. hard to make. She won it at a raffle at some sort of BNBA, which is the Borderland Mountain Bike Association, our local uh, IMBA chapter, yep. which stands for International Mountain Bike Association. Um, and but you used to be a big part of. Are you still part of the BNBA? No, I stepped out. I gave him a resignation letter last month, and it was kind of a smart ass in anger, in frustration. <laughs> You know. resignation letter but it, <laughs> what it did was and I, I knew I needed to do it I needed to do it to light a fire under their butts um, and I was just I was firing off emails left and right to all these people in the Frontier Land Alliance and who's basically a bunch of Sierra Clubbers that don't have a clue about mountain bikers so it we can we can spend more time on that that's definitely something I want to talk about but yeah the, the purse and then my tank bags oh my god tank bags are hard to make and you know, oh really? No, That's yeah, a they're, big they're, seller for yeah, you. Yeah, my bags. tank bags. I, I changed the pattern a little, and I like really upped my game with the pattern, so there's more timing points on it, things like that, so that everything lines up a lot better. So my blim rate is a lot lower. And what's really funny, I've had some just the jankiest, most crooked blims, and I'll throw them on my website, and people will buy them, and they'll send me a picture back. Love the bag. It's all like they're sweet, right, man. bro. <laughs> it's crooked as hell, Dude. but you love it. Great. Lily and I, I don't. I'm sure you remember. We uh, we got married back in shit. I forget. Four, uh, fourteen. Two thousand fourteen. Yep, right before my divorce. Yep. And uh, we our honeymoon. We went to Mexico we for bike Mexico, tour. Mexico, yeah. yes, sir. You got frame bags for me for your surly. Well, not only frame bags. We you got, got seat bags. Kit, seat bags. Yeah. We had the, the frame bags. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, it was sweet. Like having the, the capability to uh, put all of your essentially backpacking stuff, tent, um, all of our food, our clothing, I mean, pretty everything on, on the bike, on the bike, and, well balanced, distributed yeah. throughout the bike, so secure that was, you could rail single track. Yeah, dude, it was sick. Like one of the best moments. Um, well, I, I would say this: like what the like the first time where I was like, wow, we're out here and we're actually doing this. Cause our goal was to <laughs> just live off of our bikes. Basically. Was that day three? It, it was, uh, it was, uh, let's see. We, we left downtown El Paso, jumped on the limousinas bus service downtown. Um, and, uh, we packed our bikes, you know, at home with all of our stuff. So that your, your bags, the nuke sunrise bags, um, 
we're already on our bikes packed with all our, our gear. So we threw those under the bus and we had a camelback each. And so the camelback didn't just have the bladder. It was one of those that had like some compartments you could right. actually, it was like also a little backpack you could put some stuff in. So we had those um, with us. And uh, anyway, we went to Chihuahua and we hung out with a good friend of mine, Fernando. And, um, and he showed us around, but we still felt like we were on training wheels as far as the trip was concerned. So then we jumped on um, uh, a bus to Creel, mm-hmm. uh, spelled C-R-E-E-L. And uh, that's, uh, it's kind of like Rudoso. It's, it's like the, no, it's more like the Flagstaff. Or Flagstaff, yeah. right. It's above the canyon. They have this big old giant, like, kind of like a Grand Canyon style canyon. It's called the oh, yeah, Copper Canyon. Yeah. It's like four times as big as the Grand Canyon. It's ridiculous, canyon. Yeah. dude. It's so, it's amazing. Yeah, no, that's one thing I regret is not, not finding Ray Molina at a better time. I had to get Ray on here. Ray, dude, <laughs> dude be, you're talking days. That'd be rad. <laughs> that'd be rad. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so Ray was doing trips down there and Western Spirit, my girlfriend's competitor, um, they've done a couple trips down there. And uh, I I don't know if it's something that I really, I mean, it, I know it's amazing and beautiful down there. And I, I my buddy, Shell Money from Money Bikes out in Silver City, he's... Um, He's down in Oaxaca right now doing some touring with a guy who writes for bikepacking.com. And I know Mexico just has just crazy mountains all over. I mean, I've driven down to Qualtamec, which is like between um, Chihuahua City and Crail, and uh, race down there. And just, you know, you're driving down and you pass all the sand dunes, and then you pass another mountain range, and then you pass another mountain range, and then you pass another mountain range, and they're on the right and they're on the left. And then you go down to Batapias down there. And, oh, yeah, uh, Batapias. Yeah, and, yeah uh, we went down and there. Big Bend. And you cross over there. And it's just, it's like, what, where are those mountains? Is that snow on those mountains in like, you know, March? Are they, is it, or is it just there's so much rock up there? I can't tell. I'd really love to check those out, you know, that kind of thing. Mexico's it, beautiful. Yeah, man. it's, it's crazy. They, they've got a lot of stuff. And I've, I'm not going to complain. I mean, I've I've been down to you know I've been down to those Chupacabra trails by myself, not on a race weekend, and ridden out there and had a blast. And you see other people riding in the jeepers and all that stuff. And I've never felt uncomfortable. I did a bunch of road racing when I first moved here, and God, man, that was that's crazy stuff going through Juarez down there and finishing at Santa Teresa entryway and like having to ride your bike all the way back downtown <laughs> to your car and stuff. So, I mean, big days of riding. Um, and then just, I mean, and here in, in El Paso and with the new monumental loop that's up in uh, New Mexico and all the stuff we do have in Big Bend and the Big Bend Ranch State Park and then all the stuff out near Dell City, up into Rio Doso or up into Cloudcroft. I, sh- I shouldn't say Rio Doso because you really can't connect Rio Doso and Cloudcroft very well by bike. But... Um, we we're really fortunate down here to have all this stuff and and it not be completely busy yet, you know, it's still kind of low key. Um so it, I don't feel bad that I haven't done that much in Mexico. What I have done was super fun and meaningful and you know, I made some good friends. Uh, what's his name? Um uh Poro yeah, he, he wore the watermelon helmet the other the other year. Last year we did the puzzler, and uh, 
And, you know, he's a rock star. So the last time I did Chupacabra, it was me and Porro together the whole time. And he's like, he's, he's like basically a similar version of me down in Juarez with the bike scene. You make, does he make bags too? No, he doesn't make bags, but he's just with the racing and all that stuff. Mm. He still races. I don't really race anymore. And he did the puzzler that year, the two years ago when I did the directing of the puzzler. But he, um, you know, every time we went through a feed zone down there, and their feed zones, of course, are packed, and they have like 20, 30 people working the feed zones, people would go nuts over Poro, you know? And they knew me, and they would cheer me. And I'd get, I went to work, and my security guard at my school, who's a full Mexican, he drive, he's like a car guy, he's a four-by-four, four, and he's got a, a golf R with carbon all over it, sick car, you know? Total car guy. But he's in the 4x4 four, four four club down there, and they supported one of the feed zones. He's, and I, That year, I finished like 20th or something like that. You're talking about the Chupacabra race that they have down there? Which to me, if I'm like still finishing, and I mean, well, you got 3,000 people down there in Chupacabra, right? And I mean, there was one year when they had like close to 10 or something stupid like that. My best finish was like 2003 or 2004. I finished 10th in a sprint. Beat out two Rika Burger guys in the finish shoot for tenth place, and that was my best finish ever. But then after that, it was always in like the twenties somewhere, like fifteen, sixteen, twenty-two, something like that. And so Poro and I finished together, and I think he beat me that last time. But um, and my buddy at work, he's all like, "Hey man, you did great the other day." I'm like, "What? What?" And he's like, "Yeah, Chupacabra." I'm like, "Oh, you were there?" And he goes, "Yeah, hey, I was in the feed zone cheering for you." And you know, you're so turned inside out and I've heard I've yeah, never done it it's insane I've never so, done it my it, everyone else at the bike company would do it like Mike would uh like Tyson went and did I believe or Nick Nick did it and yep. I was I was sick I was so stoked for him when he went out and busted it it was so intimidating to me he was supposed long, to do it again but he didn't make it down I had his number plate and everything at my house for a while I'm like I probably should give this back to the Chupacabra guys because they got the chips in them oh yeah <laughs> it's like, but Such they have thousands long, of them. They don't care. Long, long race. Hundred <laughs> was it hundred k or hundred k on a mountain bike? Yeah, sixty two miles. Thousands of people come yeah. down for it. And it's used to. not easy. It is a burly course. There's sand. There's the gnarly loose rock that we have here in El Paso, and then there's tons of all this off camber and just stupid steep slick rock, pocked yeah. slip slick rock. It's not the slick rock like we have in Moab. It's slick rock like we have here. It's this old limestone. It's all just kind of like lumpy and they got holes in it and all that stuff. Dude, so. you know what? There's uh, like this actually ties back into Creel that we were talking about earlier and um, the Chupacabra. Well, not the Chupacabras, but like an event kind of like it from what I gather is the La Onza. La is that, on, is that La, a stage race? La Onza. It's 120K. Okay. And it's in Creel and you ride, um, dude, like, Back in the, so what I was saying earlier about the, our honeymoon and like having your bags mm-hmm. and, and having that moment of we're like, oh, we're, we're, we're finally doing yeah. this. We, we rode out from Creel on, on part of this, the racetrack that the, that the, or the Onsa racetrack. Um, and it was uh, just so, how do I describe it, man? Like, like wild, like, a, like I really felt, we were far away from home, like oh, yeah. in another country, like in, like, cause you know, you, I grew up as a lot of us probably did, like 
going to Juarez on the weekends, going get nice. some food you, or you, whatever. You, you're right? a blessed man. You're old, man. You're good. You know, yeah, so. but still going out there, I was like, oh, this is different, man. This is different than just like crossing the border on a Friday and getting right. fucked up and like, <laughs> you know, getting some tacos. Like, this is... uh like, this what is, happens if I hurt myself? Yeah, yeah, we're exactly. And like having all the stuff on right. the bags in the bag, it was a, it was an adventure, dude. It was an adventure. So knowing like the, the core, like being able to, to say, yeah, I've ridden out there uh, where they do the onsa. Oh dude, it's a killer. You got to do it someday. I don't know if they're going to do it this year or not. Um, but Lily did it. Lily did it a couple of years back, the one the year before pandemic, mm-hmm. um, COVID. And uh she went with they drove down there in the rad dog van. The Oh no kidding. And the blue bus, as we call her, yeah. Millennium Falcon AKA. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to do another van trip yeah, down there. And they it went would be with, great if it was for a bike event of some sort. So sick, man. They got a little Airbnb and Gleed's super cool, a little mountain, like a little, yeah. like you said, like Flagstaff, something mm-hmm. like that. Well, flag's getting kinda crazy, but huh. Probably like the way Flagstaff was 15 years ago. Yeah, pretty raw. Bunch of, you know, a bunch of wild dogs riding around. There's this magical chicken, like grilled chicken place there. And like, it's just, it's pretty Oh, I thought it experience. was like a chicken that was running around town. It's like a magical <laughs> chicken. <laughs> Maybe, dude, I don't know. But you get up into the, you know, you get out there. It, it's a, it doesn't take long to get away from all yeah. that and get up in those mountains and and get around and more all indigenous like, people. Yeah, exactly, and all that dude. Stuff. Yeah. yeah, we're cruising around all these trails and, we got lost a couple of times and, you know, we just took a bunch of food and water with us and we we're cruising. And that was, yeah, man, that was rad. And without your bags, like, I don't know, like I couldn't imagine having to like being able to carry all that crap and do a, an actual gnarly mountain bike adventure on these like single track trails Yeah, with all this weight or like traditional like bike touring pannier the, bags. The like pan, no way. Panniers have improved. Panniers and racks. The racks yeah. have improved a lot. They're still held together by the same stupid little bolts. So you got to, you know, I highly recommend titanium bolts and Loctite. There you, you know, go. That's what I recommend on your racks. And then um, the uh, something like an old man mountain rack, something that's sort of much beefier tubing. And then panniers that actually like actually attach to the rack and don't just like clip to the rack. You know, there's a lot of these plastic clip things, stuff like that, nylon or whatever you want to call it, the the glass reinforced stuff. So, what's up? <laughs> We're doing this podcast from my bike shop uh, at home. This might be a little bit of an interlude here. So we got, we got the kids. I'm gonna take a quick little a little pause here for a second. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. A little. Daddy duty intermission <laughs> and uh, water break. Uh, so we were talking about Mexico. Yeah. Well, be, uh, real quick, I'm um, drinking my water out of your sweet pint glass that you gave me, dude. Uh, I, I'm digging it. Sand, sand etched by, mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, sand carving by C Creations with letter C. That's at, She's at gmail.com. I don't think she has a website, but she uh, sets up in the uh, farmer's market downtown on Saturdays. Here in El Paso? Yeah. Oh, sweet. Shout out to so, the farmer's market and all the vendors. Yeah. Um, my buddy my buddy Pablo does uh, Milantica Glassworks. I love his art. It's beautiful stuff, man. And uh, we have a bunch of his pieces. And yeah, go check him out. He's at the 
He's, so he's, he's a glasses regular. and stuff too. Or he, no, he, he blows glass. Oh, he blows. Yeah, no and he does uh, custom stuff. I remember. Know. I remember as a kid, I went to Jamestown up in where is that Virginia or somewhere? When the, they have a little settlement reenactment thing going on, they have dudes that blow glass up there, and you can buy little jars. It's so like cool. That. His stuff is so cool. I just got Lily um, uh, for our anniversary. Uh, we got married on four twenty, by the way. Oh God! <laughs> Not hard to forget. Um, that's right. My my ex wife and I got married on tax day, four fifteen. Yeah, yeah, four twenty. I love, I love you, Lily. That was before four twenty was a thing. Oh, wow. My our four fifteen. That was year two thousand. That quite wasn't a thing yet. Well, we uh, we I got I got her some uh, some earrings from some like little nopalito, some cactus mm-hmm. earrings, and then. Another time I got her a, a little wine glass cup thing with, uh, and he put this really cool Ocotillo cactus oh, on it. Dope. Yeah, he does really cool stuff, man. Yeah, shout out to Pablo. Milintica Glassworks. But yeah, man, thank you for the pint glass, dude. I'm stoked. Yeah, you, that's number one, man. I'm, I got 20 of them made. I told her, I was like, there's 12 per box. Why don't you tell me? I would have gotten all 24. Stoked. <laughs> so we're talking about grill. Yeah, when your bike tour there and how crazy the trails are. I've seen the videos of those trails. It's beautiful, man. It's it was really really cool. Um, but yeah, just the, the Chupacabra race reminded me of like gnarly mountain bike stuff and Creel and all that. And I, yeah, it's so cool. Creel was like a hub for us. We stayed there on our honeymoon. We stayed there for about a week and went like on a little bike packing adventure, or, like all day trip. We went down. The canyon to uh, to some like uh, aguas termales, so like hot springs, oh. kind of. Well, they're actually more like these warm pools that are the uh, you know spring fed or whatever. Um, really beautiful down by this like base of this canyon, this river. Um, there's a lot of little things like that you can do that are arms reach, like little day trips. You know, we mm-hmm. walked along this. Uh, we just uh, we did a bunch of stuff, and Creed was was fun, man. It was very kind of like a yeah, like a little tourist, uh, you know, little base camp kind yeah, of thing. That's, that's, yeah, that's that's their Moab. It's that's, sick. Well, I, I, yeah, because Moab's a center for Canyonlands and Arches and Needles District of Canyonlands, and now with uh, Bears Ears, and there's a couple other places they do a bunch of trips. Um, Are yeah, you from Utah? No, I lived there for seven years after college. And Where are you born? Where are you from? from? Like, I, was, I was born in Georgia and grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. Huh. My dad was a college professor at a military college here called the Citadel. Kind of a notorious, famous place in military college circles. Um, and in the South, for sure. They, the, the awesome thing about growing up where I grew up I had the keys to his building, and he was a basically a PE teacher. He taught all kinds of cool stuff: drugs and substance abuse, exercise physiology, human sexuality. Um, he would teach activity classes. Like I remember one year, he he was you're only supposed to be a department head for like five years, but they made him department head for like ten. And when he was finally done, I said, well, "What are you going to do now?" He goes, oh, "I'm going to teach nothing but activity classes." So he's like teaching like badminton and archery and all this <laughs> stuff. And it was really great to grow up with that because I got to do all that stuff, either 
by him teaching me or just me, giving me the stuff and making me watch some sort of film. I mean, this is pre VHS tapes, but putting in a film <laughs> and film. feeding it through <laughs> yeah. and watching how to shoot a bow and arrow or place. They had, they, I don't know if they invented the game or somebody else that they knew invented the game. They had this thing called volleyball. It was basically volleyball played inside of a racquetball court. Huh. Yeah, and so I, all these kids I grew up with on this campus, I, I left the campus in third grade and moved across the river, but I was still really close. I could ride my bike to campus in like 20, 30 minutes maybe. Did you have a lot of freedom when you were a kid? Oh, tons of freedom, man. Yeah, Just, that's I mean, awesome. Dude. And I grew up a couple blocks from the intercoastal waterway and 10 miles from a beach and, you know, a you know, I, I had friends with boats, and then of course this college we had access to boats. My dad had a sailboat, and we could check out motorboats and canoes. Like as a kid, we could check out a canoe anytime we wanted. They they didn't care. Oh yeah, you're Professor So and So's kid. Yeah, go ahead, take it out. We'd sign the thing that we were out the, that we went out there, yeah. and our parents gave us permission to do that. And we'd grab our life vest and paddle out in these tidal creeks and rob crab traps and do That's all kinds badass. of stuff like that. Yeah, I was so lucky, and I. And I, I really didn't want to have a kid because I was afraid I wouldn't be able to give that my kid that same kind of childhood. But and it's not that I haven't really. I mean, when he was here in El Paso, he left here when he was four. We gave him a lot of cool options of things to do, but he still wasn't exploring on his own. Now he's li- he's living up in Utah, and he doesn't get to explore as much as I did because he's in a bigger city. Of course, it's not nearly as. Like there's not as much open space where he is. There's a bike path and stuff like that. And he can get up to some trails, not too hard. It's uphill to the trails, but he's, you know, he's got a season's pass for skiing. And he's like for like six years now. And he, he's on mountain bike number seven or something <laughs> stupid like that. And he's on a 140 travel Kona two niner and he's only 11. You know, Man, so it. yeah, so he's he's got a great childhood, and that's awesome. And now I'm going to be closer to him. He's going to be able to to hang with me more and do more stuff. So that's going to be a lot of fun. We're we're um, so here's here's my order of operations here. So I had my yard sale Saturday. I got to get rid of all my other furniture and stuff that I have still these next couple of weeks. And then uh, on the 10th of June, I'm renting a U-Haul trailer. My girlfriend already came down with her one of her businesses excursions and a tandem wheel trailer we didn't we didn't pack it full but we put enough weight in it she didn't have the brake controller working on the excursion so we probably put maybe two thousand pounds in the trailer and sent her on her way and you know she's i like, mean that sounds like a lot isn't like yeah, two thousand pounds a ton yeah yeah you can put, put she, a ton of shit in there and, and i'm all <laughs> like hey uh, pay for the gas out of our we have a joint account i was like we've been dating for like a month i'm like hey how do you feel about getting a joint account so we can like Go out and stuff Dude, like that. You guys are. That's a new. Uh, will you marry me? It's like, hey, will you uh, <laughs> do a joint account? Did you ever see that? Oh my god, what was it? Um, uh, um, Portlandia. Do you remember yeah, that show? I remember Portland. Oh yeah. Where, I love where the guys like, how do you feel about getting a hot tub together or some? Was it a hot tub? <laughs> I don't remember like that, that one. Yeah. I don't and remember. Then, that. Yeah, I just remember like the clothing married. store, or the bookstore, or something like the gender, oh the gender nonviolent bookstore, or whatever it was. It was like so Dude. weird. And of course, like, get the gear. Oh, oh, Landia, that, that all show kinds of stuff. The up. guy, the bike messenger dude. That so you guys are shop. you guys are good as married, man. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's interesting, and, and it's it's been awesome. And uh, but I told her, I said, hey, pay for gas. And she goes, no, we're doing really well. I'm gonna let 
let the business cover it. Awesome. I'm like, oh, crap, man. She's paying for this with the business funds? All right, this is getting real. Sugar mama. So, yeah, I'm pretty lucky. I'm so I'm the luckiest man on earth, I think. She's was, rad, man. I met her at the at the Puzzler, yeah. uh, this last Puzzler. That the was, virtual Puzzler when there's like two people hanging out in the parking lot? Oh, my God, that sucked. Dude, no way. So, not in my eyes. So, uh, <laughs> part of the, part of, well, you can talk about that. But tell me about the Puzzler. <laughs> Your baby. Shout out to Brent Sanders. Oh, oh I love Brent. Um, yeah, <laughs> is it going on next year? Oh yeah, and yeah. it's. I think it's going to be great next year. I think those guys are going to really step up the game. Um, I so, think that that. So I should, I should give. I mean, let's do a little history on that. So I had never really met Brent before, and after in 2006 we had this 150 year storm that washed out all our trails, freaked all these mountain bikers out. All these mountain bikers started riding on the northeast part of town. Um, Mike Rawson went in there and his buddies, some of you got moved. I don't know if you were involved in that, but a lot of those, his buddies were doing a lot of rake and ride trails out there on the old cow paths that were out there. Cause they were grazing cattle and, uh, in the Northeast trails here in El Paso. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. And then, so the city ended up giving a lot of that land to the <laughs> state park. And then we ended up with all this, this trail network that was part cow, part Mike Rawson and his buddies. Oh, well, I will say that, uh, we, uh, Let's just say we found some trails. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and back then, that was fine. We needed it. We totally needed it. I was like, this is rad. All right. So the, I wasn't a huge fan of the rake and ride trails. And they've developed over time and they've gotten fun. Um, I, I, I'm more of a fan of like really planning the trail out and like making sure there's some features in there and stuff like that, which we got later. Um, but they're a little far out for people and they don't want to ride out that far or whatever. But now with the e-bikes, guys are all over the place. So it doesn't even matter. But um, so well, there's quite the trail system out there. Yeah, in the front of the mountains, it's great. Yeah. It's, and it, it needs a lot of help. It needs a lot of signage, and yeah, it well, needs some enforcement and things like that. And we can talk about that a lot more. Yeah, like that's a stuff. whole and, and and the state park and like I, you know, being a an ex state park ranger uh, or ranger, I'd say like a maintenance guy working with for the state park. Um, I did that for a year and was like the mountain bike liaison, uh, so to speak. But it was, uh, it's hard, man. There's a lot to do, not just the mountain bike stuff. I mean, there's such a, such a huge trail system, uh, in our, it's in our vast. state park. It's vast. It's ridiculous. Twenty-eight thousand acre state park, the largest urban state park in the country. Yeah. So, and it split. It's and what I find more fascinating about our state park than the size, is what it's done to the demographics of El Paso. It splits our city in half. The west side is known as the more affluent part of town. It connects over the mountain to the northeast part of town, which is becoming more affluent. And at one point in time, I heard that northeast residents had more disposable income than anyone else because their cost of living was so much cheaper over there in the northeast. Mm-hmm. And northeast is where I live. Um, and the, But now the northeast has grown and there's lots of new housing and expensive mm-hmm. housing and all that other stuff. So it's becoming a little more amenable to, to different types of people. But when I first moved here, very few people commuted over the mountain. Now everybody commutes like it's no big deal. And it's amazing. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know if it's good. It's good for the economy, I guess, and whatever. But um, just well, the, the puzzler, though, highlighted it highlighted Northeast Trails a lot. It, well, I, I think it, like, in my perspective and like some of the people, it was cool because you were forced to go around the mountain. Right. You had to. So the puzzler. Mountain first, bike race. First two years started on the west side. Okay. Went around the mountain to the northeast. We put, took them through Heinrich Park so we could have a feed zone. Um, 
very uh, a lot more like we were on the pipeline road on the the northeast side and didn't really do much trail over there because we didn't have them yet. And so that was 2008, I think, was the first year we did it. And I'm looking at some of your posters, and I'm like, oh, I don't have any of those. Yeah, so dope. got some race posters. <laughs> I was like, I'm wondering if, if any of the them shop, in here. Red dog. But if there, I see a one puzzler poster. I have a bunch of puzzler poster. Brent has all but one. He's missing one poster. And uh, but I think 2008 was our first year to do it. We had 26 people. We didn't use number plates. Um, we made people pick up these little pieces of a sticker that we had stashed around <laughs> yep. the trails to make sure they made it all these certain points. Oh yeah, because we knew if they made it at that point, they most likely rode the correct trail to get there. And uh, so when you put it together, it formed a. It said, uh, "What did it say?" It. I think it said, "Puzzler race" or something like that, and like. You'll still see them on like some really old cars with like faded and stuff. You're like, oh shit, man, that's the original puzzler sticker. I think I and have then there's a, a new number plate. Then the next, the second year we did the Scrabble letters, <laughs> mm-hmm. and the poster turned out really cool. I did that poster. I was really stoked on that poster. Um, and then I still I have that poster. I'm pretty. I'm like, yeah, hey, I'm glad I got that poster framed and hung up in my wall. Um, now in Moab in a box, <laughs> waiting for a wall. But. Um, <laughs> The uh, the sticker we did for that was pretty cool, and it's really funny. I had that on the back of a trailer, and I sold the trailer to this guy. And like last year, Brent sent me a picture of the trailer, and it still had the sticker on it. And the Joker <laughs> still hadn't registered the trailer because it had the scratched off expired date thing that I scratched off. Hilarious. Yeah, it's just like, oh my god, it's hilarious. But um, yeah, so first year twenty six people, second year sixty, the third year seventy five, and we got Travis Brown to come out for it. Oh, yeah. And then that last year, so not this two thousand, not twenty one, but in twenty, um, right before the pandemic, we'd started hearing about that pandemic. We had been hearing about it a little bit, and uh, there was actually a little bit of concern amongst some of us in the group, like. Oh man, what happens if this you know, somebody here is sick and we all get sick? And what do you think? Is it real and all that other stuff? But um, that was by far. I think there were a few hiccups. There was one hiccup with a food truck. Um, other than that, that was by far the best race. We finally got a real sound system, which Brent never wanted to do. <laughs> Brent didn't want to spend money. Love you, Brent. Yeah. Fun fact: Brent married us. <laughs> like padre, padrino, or whatever you want. Oh, to call right it. on! I did not. I, love I think you told me that once before. But uh, the um, directing that event was, of course, it's always hard, and you have to give people very specific roles, or else you're going to be doing just way too much work, and you're going to be just dead. And of course, I was dead for a week after that. But I was really proud of how that one went. And then when the pandemic came around, we we debated canceling and we debated just going for it and seeing if we could get approval. And then we just, we found out we had to get approval to even do a virtual event. So we did the virtual event. And of course the guys from Moss EP, the free rider enduro guys got all pissed because I think they thought we were mad at them for having a, a virtual event a few years ago. It wasn't that is that they were painting a bunch of rocks in the state park to show the routes like big rocks like painting them red oh shit you know that kind of thing and that wasn't cool there's a lot of that in Creed. a lot of like what they call flechas yeah. and they'll do like just like a like a, 
fucking yeah, I don't, on a rock. Or yeah, a I don't really see a big deal in that. I mean, there's a trail uh, in, in the the um, Lost Dog area, top by the highway. That one of the rocks was painted blue, and I always called it Blue Rock. No one ever else called it Blue Rock. I'm like, oh, that's because you don't go all the way up there. Or by the time you get up there, you're freaking done, and you're not even noticing that there's a blue rock on the ground, you know, because it's way at the top. But um, yeah, I've never, I, I've, I've never really been like pro or con rock painting. I've, I, if anything, I'm for it if the rock's big enough to where it can't be moved. Because if the rock gets moved and then you put an arrow on it or something like that. Well, GPS now, man. Like you're not. That's not necessary. Yeah, anymore. but you know what? There, well, how did you do it with the with the virtual stuff because you it was it strava or what did you do we did it on strava we used strava and they had to have a map on their device which we had available the gps files available um, but we only had 15 people do it total yeah one five yeah hmm. yeah compared why, to 300 we had like 40 people register and not ask for their money back you're thinking about putting out like a questionnaire or something asking like uh well, I don't know. Maybe if you had, cust- uh, not race old day racer. Info. I sent out emails and emails and emails, and then people would get back to me like two weeks after we gave out prizes. Can I get my money back? I'm like, not now. I mean, like, like feedback is what I'm is what I'm getting at. Like, uh, oh, no one liked it. No one liked not being out there and having that energy. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And that's that's. That's what racing's about. Competition is about being out there with other people that are going to push you and you're going to push them and maybe you're going to block them or somebody's going to block for you. There's the tactics that are involved and there's going through those feed zones where people are cheering for you. And one of the things I remember with Chupacabra is like Chupacabra, the most ones that I did, they, they changed the finish area a few times. And the the last one I did, and then a few others, a few years back, back before their war, back like two thousand five and six, um, you would you would come out at about mile fifty nine. You'd come through a Napra, which is definitely the poorest part of Juarez, and you're 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 shelled. You're cooked. You don't have any more water. You got like three, four miles to go. And there's these super poor people standing there cheering you on. And there's a kid who will never, ever, if he's lucky, he'll own a bike. And he'll never own a $10,000 custom titanium Titus. You know? And I would always break down. And I would just have tears running down my face as I rolled through that area. And my legs are cramping. And my jersey's just crusted in salt. My helmet's got so much salt on it, it's like rashing my face, you know? And they would be cheering for you and rattling their cans or whatever. And that, you don't get that when you go out and ride by yourself on fucking Strava. Yeah, man. You know? You don't. And that, that's one thing that I always loved about Chupacabra. And now that, and I, I experienced that several times when they they started and finished it out on the other side of an opera, closer to what's called the Cristo. It used to be the Cristo Negro. It was a Black Christ 
statue they had out there. It's white now. I'm like, what the hell was that? I have no idea. I'm like, I believe black Jesus was a black. Jesus was a black man. And you're going to paint him white. Got this great story about a Mormon girlfriend with that. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Right. But, uh, yeah, it's those kind of experiences. And then all the other great events that I've done around the country with Norb nationals and just random other events and small events that, I mean, I, I did, Palisades, Colorado, which now has the Palisade Plunge, which is this giant, like 30-mile descent that they're doing off the Grand Mesa out there. They just finished it up. I did a first-year event there, the Palisade Classic, they call it now, or something like that. And a bunch of Colorado boys, and we'd been on the road for a couple months with a pop-up trailer camper. And it was like our first summer of really hitting it hard on the road. I won that damn thing. Fuck yeah. And, uh, of course, those guys, you know, one the top pro guy, he got a flat, you know, that kind of thing. But, hey, man, it's racing. Yeah. And there was a crowd there. And, you know, to be able to to go to the after party and all that stuff, it's, it's that's that's what, I mean, that puzzler after party, oh, my God, it freaking rocks. Yeah. The 12-hour party, oh, my God, how uh, much fun is that? The 12-hour You man. know, it's yeah. like. I hear it's going on. Yeah, again. it's coming back. Mario's going to bring it back. Well, he, I'll keep my fingers man. crossed for him. I got to contact him. Yeah, about dude. that. So he, gonna, he called me the other day and left a message. Got to get him on here too. Talk about, about the twelve yeah. hour. Yeah. So um, the vibe though you're talking about, you're it's it's tangible. You know, it's something that you you can oh, man, you can feel it. You yeah. Can, oh yeah. Oh yeah. It. You yeah. definitely we 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 feed off other people's yeah. energy. Yeah. It's either gonna like bring you down or bring you up, or you walk into a place like you just walk into a place and you can tell there's good energy and it just makes you smile. Hell yeah! You know, I mean, like the yard sale I had on Saturday, it was just so much fun to see all these neighbors come and be super excited to grab something that was of value or that they thought would be of value to them. I hope. I mean, stuff that I paid fifteen, twenty bucks for on Amazon. How much? Dollar. Take it. You know, yeah. really? That's all he wants a dollar? I'm like, get it out of me, out of here. I don't want it anymore. <laughs> you know, it's like, and, and to, you know, to just. Cool vibes. Yeah. It's like, and it, it, we, had, we had a hilarious time. So my neighbor kid helped me with it. And That's cool. We just had a blast. But Man, um, yeah, so, so the Puzzler, I I really think that this, this 22 version of the Puzzlers, it will be the best Puzzler. Um, the. Mountain Bike Association is, I'd never been a fan of the Puzzler being a Mountain Bike Association thing. It was our biggest fundraiser. We raised 20 to almost 30 grand doing the Puzzler. I think maybe, maybe not quite 30, maybe 25. And I always thought that Mountain Bike Association shouldn't be raising their money through events like that. We should be having like a Mountain Bike Film Festival or an art thing or... Bike swap. The bike, not even a book. Yeah, like we, I think El Paso is big enough now where we can have a big bike swap. The kinds like they have in Salt Lake City where you pay 10 bucks for a table and you're going to sell four or $500 worth of stuff if you got junk. Right. You know, but you got to have your stuff, right? You got to have stuff together to make it worthwhile or you team up with a buddy or that kind of thing. Um, or the, in Salt Lake, it started with a ski swap and then the bike swap came around later and the bike industry is so big in Salt Lake now. It's, you know, freaking Envy shows up at the bike swap and puts all their blim shit out there. You know, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad that I, I agree with you with like, it's not the same because Lily, Lily raised it, my wife. She 
well, he went out there and supported her. And we had about the, the closest uh, to a non-pandemic, non-virtual race experience that you could have having it a virtual during right. the pandemic. Because we went out there with the van um, and we were lucky enough to be... There, you're lucky I let you in. Well, hey man, my dog sponsored it. So, no, yeah, thank you. That was huge, man. Because was I, I wasn't, we weren't letting people in. We couldn't let people in up there. Dropped off those prizes and I just stuck around. Right. <laughs> but, but like, it was just us. There was no, no tents, no, nobody. It was just our little van with our kids. Yeah. And we were out there. Mama DJ was there. My shout out to Weasel, my mother in law. She's the shit. And we uh, we made a day of it, and you were there, and we were you know we were talking trash and whatever. It was fun. We ate some bread in a can. Yeah. Oh God, <laughs> was that was terrible. <laughs> the pumpkin flavor or something like that. Fucking cardboard. Um, <laughs> Weasel bought it for me. She's like, I didn't believe it. There was bread in a can, and she showed up with it one day. I was like, Oh, I got to try this. But anyway, um, it was fun, man. It was fun, but we had a. Uh, uh, we were lucky to have the experience that we that we did the opportunity to yeah. to make it as close to a. Imagine a how race. much more fun it would have been if totally. we had gotten vaccines out to everybody in December. Totally, and could have said, "Hey, if you're vaccinated, we'll let you in the parking lot." Totally, totally. No, yeah. and, and what I'm getting at, I guess, is long winded. Um, to have, I'm glad you did it. I'm glad you guys put it on because now there's something to compare it to. It's like you don't know what you have till it's gone. Right. I really believe that, right? And so having the race. And being like, look, this is the best we could do. Um, and, and That's for the those thing. People, I don't think it was. I mean, for a virtual race? I don't, my, I don't my think point, it was the best we could do. I think we could have done a lot better. Yeah. And it's, a lot of it's my fault because I just, I wasn't living here. I was living in Moab all fall. Well, props to doing you know? it, period. Yeah. Because we were, we were stoked. And I think everyone that did it was stoked. Like that dude, remember he broke his handlebar? He, he Oh God, yeah, Nate. Nate uh, from, from uh, Taos. From Taos. Nate from Taos, dude. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's, he, he's tough. He's striding strong. So he, he was stoked that you get, he yeah, was, camped out. Yeah, it was his second race of the year, I think, or maybe third. Camped out at Tommy State Park. He, he killed it. He broke his handlebar like halfway through the race or something. No, it was like, like 20 miles to go. Some crazy shit. <laughs> a little more than halfway. <laughs> and, and then came in with like, I mean, just. Yeah, Brent has his handlebar. He was wrecked. And, uh, but dude, when he came in, he was so yeah, He was pumped. super stoked. We're he all was, having a good yeah. time. So, yeah, like it wasn't, it wasn't shitty for everyone, but, um, but it was definitely different. It wasn't, it wasn't a real, like, old school race. My watch is seven <laughs> minutes fast. 420. Oh no, now it's 421. So game on. Yeah. So the whole virtual thing this past year, of course, everybody was trying it. There were places that had races still. Yeah. I mean, I sponsored this one event in Oklahoma and they had a podium pick. No one's wearing masks. I'm like, holy crap. Sure enough, somebody in that group got sick. Yeah. Well, I had a, I, right before COVID hit, um, when I was still doing the shop full swing, the, the, my bike shop. Anyway, we put on the Dirty Domingo cyclocross race in uh or we organized it anyway in um memorial park central stoked man i met with the city got all the permits uh got like some everyone was like pitching in helping out with free pizzas and this and that it was going to be super rad we're really pumped on it and um yeah then COVID hit 
and people start shutting stuff down. And I thought, fuck, you know, and then it dawned on me like, yeah, this isn't smart. So then we shut it down and I was like, and that was actually probably the better time to do it. Yeah. Because it wasn't as rampant as it was later. <laughs> well, in hindsight, right? Right. But um, in any case, we 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 pulled the plug. And then uh, I got the idea to do the Strava thing. Uh, so we did. We went out and mapped out a course and did, uh, you know, we had a decent following on Instagram at the time. And I tried putting it out there and on some people and um i don't know man maybe like three or four people did it yeah but i was still stoked that someone went out there and did it right and had a good time because like for that person right it was it was cool and they give them something to do on that day and it was like it was sweet and that's kind of what i'm trying to say with the whole puzzle thing it was like like being on both sides of the the virtual thing putting the the dirty domingo on and being like bummed out because like it's not a full race of course not even like oh yeah fucking good time with the homies but but then seeing like oh well at least someone did it i would have been super bummed i think if like there was zero yeah. completions and then going out there and, and actually taking part in the puzzler i expected no one to be out there but i didn't expect for like for us to have such an awesome time like we did and we really did man it right. was awesome um but i'll tell you what we are stoked. Like, I'm to, for the puzzler to be again. You don't got, you don't know what you have to. It's gone. Like thinking about events, like the puzzler, the twelve hour coming yeah. back, or like any just yeah. We, there's been a year, dearth of events, man. I mean, just being the puzzler stoked. for the past few years, no coyote, no Nothing, uh, no twelve hour. It's been nuts. And so I mean, I, I the guys from Lost Dog Chainbreakers want to do coyote. We're like, let's do it. We give you the venue. You got to get all the stuff though, and they've started to realize how much work it was. It's a lot of work to put a, an event. And on. the thing is, they have a ton of money, man. They got a bunch of rich people in their group. They roll up in the freaking Audis with the freaking one up racks on the back Sweet. and all that stuff. It's like, come on, bro. You know, and so I, I mean, it's a labor of love, yeah. though, man. It really so is. So I, I think, but people are figuring it out. So like Mossy P is doing their second enduro, and they're doing three stages over there in Granola Bowl and Bostock. Closer? Yeah. <laughs> I sound really loud now. Oh, you do? Maybe it's your... My earpiece. One second. Text, test, test. That's better. All right, cool. So Mossy P, the More Action Sports El Paso, is uh, they're now working with the city and the Billy Rogers Arroyo mm-hmm. for the jumps and stuff. And Oh, is that where the jump stuff's going to happen? It's already there. But they're bringing in a trail builder to help them. They're building a big jump line now out at uh, Desert Downs. That's what I heard about yeah, recently. Desert Downs. That, okay. and so Ricky Skulls from Trek West, shout out to Ricky, who I've not really met. Um, but Ricky is, I, I try to get Ricky on the BNBA, but he says he doesn't have time. I'm like, bro, you got time for this. Oh, I don't, or he said, I don't have the coin. I'm like, I will pay your damn membership. You know, it's 25 fucking dollars, you know. And then, and Poro needs to, or Poros needs to pay you more. You know, it's like if you can't afford your membership to be on a board and learn how the bureaucracy works, you know, but so Mossy P stepped up their game. They became a nonprofit and they are, they've, they had just had a virtual, virtual event with um, Monk's Trail and they had like 45 people and 10 women. Yeah. Lily did that. Yeah. Yeah. She said it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so that's great. And then um, they're doing it again with three really short stages over there in a granola bowl, GI Joe, this La Spina, which is Sick. nuts to me. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I've ridden it, but I'm like, this is hairball. And it was super windy, and I saw Rob Rohrbach go off a jump, about to eat it. And I'm just like, I'm not going off that jump. And I was like, no way, I'm too big. Lost our trails are crazy. Right? They're fun. <laughs> they, but, are. Um, they are. Yeah, so I think that we're figuring out that there's other options. The virtual event thing is something that I always saw as being like pre-training, like kind of to get everybody motivated. At the same time, I never liked putting my stuff on Strava because it let people know what you were doing. And uh, I didn't like doing that. I, when I trained, I kept everything myself. Man, I didn't post up on Instagram. I just did 14 intervals up, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I ain't telling people what I'm doing. I'm not telling people how hard I work. I don't want people to know how hard I work. You don't think it's motivating for some people though? Like, I don't to... care if it's motivating for some people. I don't want my competition to know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> my competition would post up all this stuff, feeling tired today, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm going to crush him. And sure enough, next weekend, I freaking crushed them because I knew they were tired. I saw the workouts they were doing. You're and a true I, racer, dude. <laughs> I learned. Well, so I learned that from my father. My father was a, a world class track runner, 800 meter runner. He went to the Olympic trials in '64 to go no to Tokyo. No shit. Yeah, and he missed. He missed going by about a meter because he did 40 quarters, one lap around the track, 40 of them at like 80 percent or something stupid like that, like five days before, where he shouldn't have been doing crap. There's nothing you can do within two weeks of a major event that'll make you faster. There's a ton of shit you can do that'll make you slower. Uh-huh. And I learned that from him. And so I'd see these guys doing these crazy workouts the week, like the weekend before a race. Or they like I don't there's a young lady in town that's a trail runner. And I'm watching some of the stuff she's doing. And like she's sick. She needs to just stop. Don't do it. She pushed through her workout anyway, because that was her workout. She was supposed to do her workout. Like, no, there's nothing you can do this two weeks before a race that'll help you. There's a ton you can do that'll ruin you. And sure enough, it ruined her. And she had all kinds of health problems after that. Damn. So I, you know, I've I've been the lazy. My my dad was a, the lazy professor, but he was a hard worker on the track. Yeah. And I, I he coached track and I saw what he did to his athletes and he pushed them hard. But I was the, the lazy athlete. I was always looking for the shortcuts and how can I train smarter, not harder, that kind of thing? And then at one point in time, it's like, okay, I'm fast enough now. Now I just need to have a lot of fun. And I can go out there and have fun, kick everybody's ass. That's fun. And if I get my ass kicked and the other guy had fun, we can laugh about it later. It's not a big deal. I don't have a freaking pro contract. So it's like, I'm just out here and have fun. Yeah. And so, I I mean, I got fast and had a lot of fun racing bikes. Did you so, have like that, Like it sounds like you had that like predator mentality, like that real... I don't know. Uh, Serious. I, well, I played basketball growing mm-hmm. up. I wasn't a very good basketball player. I mean, I could jump, and I I was good one-on-one. I'd go to these basketball camps and beat these dudes at like 6'8", 240, and I was like, you know, 6'4"-ish maybe, and, you know, 185. <laughs> and I'd, I'd school these guys, or and even the little dudes that were like faster than me, I figured out how to beat them one-on-one. Then I'd win one-on-one tournaments at these summer camps. Put me two on two or three on three, five on five, and I'm lost. And I just couldn't play it. I couldn't do it that way. I didn't have the head for the game. Um, but I learned how to to get beat up and do my beating up. My freshman year in high school, um, there was a senior on our team that was 7'2". And uh, we had a junior that was 6'8", and big, big heavy leg guy. Um, 
and they they were they were not friendly, and I was their practice meet, and so um, short track racing, I I put guys into the barrier, not not really put them in the barrier. I just hold a straight line into the turn, and the turn would all of a sudden come up on them, and there's the barrier in their face. So I and I remember I won uh, like a veteran class cyclocross race in Utah, the state championships in Utah, Sick. back before cyclocross was big again in the U.S. Like we were big back in like the seventies. Cyclocross was kind of big. Cyclocross is so sick. Yeah, and then it went away. And so I like raced it when it went away. So intense. And I I remember like this guy tried to pass me, and I'm like, "You're not passing me, bro." And he was a friend of mine. We raced mountain bikes against each other, and he was a K2 rep in town doing the K2 bikes and all that stuff. He hooked me up with a deal, all that stuff, and I I freaking let him have it. I was like, "I'm a big boy. I'm gonna play mean on this." I, the, there's one thing that I, I don't really regret it, but I kind of wish I had done it. And that was race road in Europe. And I don't know if I would have been like, I, th- I think I probably would have been a classics rider for sure. Like cobbles and all that stuff. Cause I, I, I started mountain biking in, in 83. I did BMX before that. So I was like one of the first kids on a mountain bike in South Carolina. And so I, I and we had cobblestone streets in my town. And but I'd ride my road bike across the cobblestone. They were only like 200 yards, but you know, you're like, I'm in Paris Roubaix, you know, all that stuff. And I would watch Paris Roubaix on TV and I would get all jazz on that. And when I was in college, I, I finished college and I thought, man, I, 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 wanted, I wanted a mountain bike. And so I took a job in California knowing it would get me out west. And it did. It got me out west and I lasted like a month in that job. And I moved to Utah and stayed in Utah for seven years. And, uh, really got into the mountain biking and but at the same time I was like I would really love to go to Europe but I mean I was a party boy and I could totally see myself being like Jan Ulrich and being a party boy and getting in big trouble with drugs <laughs> and possibly dying and but and so I I don't think I truly missed out but it would have been really curious to see what would happen if I'd gone to Europe and decided to give it a go on the on the road did you have like some sort of um, invitation or or some like point in your life where you're no, like, oh, I mean, I, at that time, people were just going over there. They're just going you trying just to make go some shit happen. There. You go over there, you go to Belgium, and you find a host family for yourself, put the word out that you're looking for a host family. And there was all these host families that loved Americans. And now there's a house over there that all the American juniors go to and raise. My buddy Chris McGovern did it. He's a uh, shout out my buddy Chris. He's uh makes McGovern carbon bikes beautiful handmade carbon bikes out of um oh he's in nevada city california which is where greg lamont's from and uh yeah so he did that he raced in europe and he was actually pretty damn good that's cool um so and so he knows all the big boys and he was actually cyclocross national coach for a while um coaches that guy calls himself mctubbin on uh instagram who was like a national champ, I think, or finished second or something a couple times. Uh, you're, uh, again, so, man, I'm so yeah. not connected right? I'm not, to the I'm so, I'm very, I worked with this guy at the REI <laughs> in Salt Lake, and he was in he was in schools with my uh, my wife at the time. Uh, I don't think we were married yet, but um, Jennifer, who was a pro for 15 years and was a dominant rider here in El Paso. And one thing I regret with Jen was not trying to get her into the uh, El Paso Sports Hall of Fame. I think she deserves to be in El Paso Sports Hall of Fame. She's two-time single-speed national champ, finished sixth at nationals in uh, Napa um, in cross-country. With you know, she was 
she let somebody have the podium. She's like, let's go. And the girl got motivated and then passed her and finished fifth. And you know, she still kicks herself over that. <laughs> she had a great racing career. She, Good karma. she won Good karma, the second year of the puzzler. She won the whole damn thing, beat all the boys. Um, so yeah, she was a strong rider. So, I mean, I was very fortunate to have that time with her to travel with her and do all that racing. Um, I, I mean, it was, it's kind of funny. Like my, my father, so Jen had this issue where she would get super nervous for a race and throw up and didn't want to race. But then once she could, once she did throw up, she would feel better. So the races she threw up before, she'd do really well. The ones she didn't kind of held it in and stuff, she would like no, uh, do kidding. very well. Yeah. Well, my dad asked me one time, he came up to watch me race in North Carolina one year, and I was racing semi-pro, and I was really good. I was like killing all the kids that were trying to go pro and killing all the old dudes that were, you know, just getting a late start or whatever. And I had that military time that kind of took me away from biking and all that. So... um <laughs> my dad comes up to me and he says so do you get nervous for a race it's like oh man I just want to like it's all I can do not to like punch the dude next to me <sighs> yeah and I don't I'm not a violent guy at all I just like you know, hey, I like, want to choke him you know it's like, like choke that guy and push him all the way <laughs> throw him on the ground and take off and uh Diddy, he's all man, like Diddy. he's all like damn <laughs> he says I always got sick before a race and threw up I'm like oh you should hang out with Jen she gets all that and for for him to be a world class runner, and granted his run, races were like a minute and forty eight seconds, you know they're just you're pinned the whole time. Short track you're pinned the whole time for yeah. about thirty minutes. Super intense, yeah. You know, so that and that's so I ended up getting a national title in, in Masters short track in two thousand seven. No, two thousand six, I was uh, amateur expert class series champ. I won like three out of the five or six races I did that year. and Was Connor already born? No, nope, that was pre-Connor. So Connor was born in 2010, and we pretty much stopped all the national racing. We, I think we'd stopped the national racing about 2009. I did like Breck Epic. and Yeah, you won that, right? Like the Breck Epic? I, I won the single speed category Breck Epic, the That's inaugural event. Dope. Never went back and did it again. Jen went back and won at single speed and got third <sighs> in the women on a single speed. Little, all I'm thinking is like, well, not that all I'm thinking, but I mean, uh, Connor's got the gift from both ends, man. Yeah, you it's, get, <laughs> it's scary, and it's like you see so, and there's so many shred. other kids, and then it's like now, like there's this guy who's like throwing down FKTs on things like the White Rim Trail, which is like a hundred mile loop. Um, he attempted uh, an FKT on the Cocopelli Trail, which is like 160 miles or something from what's FKT? Fastest known time. So you go out and just do it on your own. Okay. Try to get your fast known time, get your GPS file up and show everybody how fast you went. No shit. Um, so this kid, Peter Stetna, who's, I believe his dad's name was Wayne. Wayne Stetna won some big race. And the only reason he won it, because he was using prototype STI shifters on his road bike. Whoa. You know? So like all these, all these kids. And then um, the, uh, the guy who had the major head injury, um, Tall, lanky kid out of Colorado. His parents were Olympians, um, and he had a great pro career uh, despite his head injury. I head injury. can't remember his name. Taylor Finney. Taylor Finney. He had a head injury. Yeah, dude, bad, oh, I didn't, I didn't super know that. bad. Yeah, and he did art. He's got some. Oh yeah, no, I'm a, he has I'm some a fan. beautiful art. I'm a fan. He's he's. Uh, I mean, I never met the guy. Neither have I. But um, when I was on social media, I would follow him, and yep. uh, he just seemed like. Yeah, I don't know. I yeah, like, so he started I like the painting. Stuff he put out. Yeah, he was painting to do some therapy for his head and stuff. 
And yeah, it's, his paintings are actually really great. I loved them. I thought they were fantastic. I'd love to get a hold of Finney. He's a uh, man, like you say, the FKT stuff and like all the Strava stuff and whatnot. And um, can't help but think of that dude, Taylor. Tyler? Is it Tyler or Taylor? Finney? Taylor Finney. Um, and You're thinking of Tyler Hamilton. No, no, no. no, no I met this last summer. We're, we're, we're thinking about the same dude, but he's uh, friends with. Um, this other pro, these brothers, the the Mortons, Lachlan Morton. Yep, Lachlan. Yep. And Gus Morton. So I think Taylor who I'm, I'm well Taylor I'm raced for Trek. <laughs> Taylor was a Trek rider, I believe, for Cannondale. most of his career. Or can something. But uh oh if he's with Cannondale, Lachlan is with EF Racing, which is Cannondale team. Yeah, so that so that they were both on EF together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh but So but, Lachlan's been doing a bunch of that stuff. Lachlan did Coke Pelly last year during quarantine. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And he that's threw down the FKT. Yeah. And then my buddy, Kurt Refsnyder, who's like a super rock star bikepacker, he went back and just did it this spring. And then um, this is really great. So this is a, um, a, a puzzler winner. Oh, uh, really? Time and Fish, who's like 6'6", and rides a giant anthem. And I made him a giant frame bag for his giant anthem. <laughs> nice. He went out and took six hours off the FKT on the Arizona Trail 300 just this spring. Jeez. And just a couple, few weeks ago, he did um, an FKT southbound. So from Durango, uh, from... Uh, uh, Grand Junction back to Moab on the Cocapelli Trail, which follows the Colorado River for the most part. That's the best way to describe it. Um, he put an FKT on that, in that direction, just a few, like not even a month after his FKT on the Arizona Trail. And then he uh, went the other direction to try to get the FKT and missed it by six minutes just, wow. just this past weekend. <laughs> so <laughs> so weekends there's ago. people doing like the the... The basically the Strava thing, like the yeah, King well, of the it's, it's shit, technically. Basically. I mean, I mean, before it wasn't even Strava. It's like you just used the GPS and recorded it. Right. If you wanted to put it on Strava, great. I mean, I put like I think I put all my Tour Divide on Strava. Um, I put my, I know I put my Colorado Trail race on Strava, and I had a KOM on the road for like four years, coming from Silverton up. I had a KOM there for like four years. Somebody finally broke that thing. I'm just like. What the? Why isn't some pro roadie take that thing from me? It's motivating, man. It's a weird thing. I remember riding. We were living out in Florida a few years ago, and um, I'd ride just commute to work to the bike shop. And there's this one section. Well, not well. There are a few little sections, you know, Strava, random little Strava sections. And every time you'd see, or I would see that on there, even if I wouldn't go all out, I would. You know, just kind yeah, of right. see, see where you do, at. see where you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, uh, and then sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, I'm feeling good today, and you turn that corner, right. and you know that section's coming up, and you're just like, maybe, maybe I can. Let's see what I could, you know, see how I. Yeah. So it's a, it's a. Yeah. Sometimes I turn it off though because it's just. Uh, it's be, noise. It's noise, right? It's distracting. It's something else. You, you know, you got to upload it. And all, <laughs> it's like, oh crap! And I, I was doing the but Strava cool. thing with. Smart wool socks that will give you a $25 gift card if you rode 250 miles basically during my spring break. Or not, well, I don't even think it was like 250 miles. I think it's like maybe like 150 or something stupid like that. Did you get it? No, I kept forgetting to start my damn Strava. 
I'd be finishing the ride like, ah, oh, I didn't start my Strava. Damn. You know, so because I don't have any, I don't use it. I mean, I used it for a while when it first started, kind of, and uh, then I and I was still still racing, racing, so I stopped. But so before we wrap up, I know you want to wrap up. I need to go too. Um, I did want to like give a shout out to my my crew at at the BMBA, and I know I know we've had some. I was like sandpaper over there the last few months. Um, but, um, and, and I want, I want El Paso mountain bikers to know that there is a group, there's two groups working hard for them now and they're both working together. Their, their goals are a little different. The Mossy P guys are more for skills, progression, jumps, enduro style racing. And BNBA is focused more. I'm not gonna say they're focused on XC type riding, they're focused on the true advocacy part and make sure that we have trails here for El Paso. And there's one thing that I'm pushing everybody to push for and BNBA is working for, and they're trying to show the city how to do it. And the city doesn't have a freaking clue. Um, we, uh, here's what I want El Paso mountain bikers to hold the city accountable to have a city staffer that takes care of our trails. How can that be done? Through Parks and Rec. How so? Be specific. They need to hire a full-time staffer through Parks and Rec that goes out on the trails every day and picks up trash and does trail maintenance and organizes trail maintenance weekends for volunteer groups. Make sure signs are up and not falling down or getting graffitied and all that other stuff. And our trails need to be signed a, a lot. We need to have a ton of signage because when you sign your trails, 99% of your users will stay on those trails. They won't build more crappy trails around it. They'll keep using those trails. And if they know there's signage and someone out there and they want something new, they can go to the BNBA. They can go to the uh, Frontierland Alliance, who has the lease now in the Lost Dog area. They, they have the, the, what they call it, the easement, the conservation easement, kind of like our maintenance lease we have, the BNBA SAR. The BNBA has a maintenance lease for the Lost Dog Trailhead and for the roundhouse and we're responsible for those areas and we go out there and we do cleanups out there a lot. Um, so the city needs to step up. And even though the city has technically given up that land as open space and made frontier land Alliance, the steward of that land, the city still needs to do it. And I think mountain bikers need to hold the city accountable on that. And the city really needs to start looking at putting in a bike park somewhere. And probably should be in the northeast on the new Nap land that was just turned into a conservation easement. The Nap land, I want mountain bikers to know this. The Nap land was quarried. It is not natural open space. There's a few areas within it that are, but it was heavily quarried out. And it's growing back, but it's nothing like it was before. And the Frontierland Alliance is leading all their little bird walks and all this other crap up there. And that is the place where we should have a, a skills bike park with downhill access, a nice little windy climb, and then send it down and all that around. Dude, and I, that's, that was been my backyard for 20 years now. Yeah. And no one will go up there and ride with me. So, well, you know, knowing you for a long time and uh, been in the, you know, kind of had my finger on the pulse of all this mountain bike stuff and the trails and whatnot for a really long time. And I got to credit Mike for, for, you know, taking in a young kid like myself and, and like some other friends that, that were working at bicycle company back in the day and like bringing us to 
the BNBA meetings, you yeah, know, and, I remember and, that. and really like that being these, these young kids and like, and we and didn't just, know what we were doing. No, but, but, but being <laughs> around, like being around these older people, like you guys who were or not necessarily older, like calling you super old in age, but, but just you, you, we looked up to you, you know, at least I did. We looked up to you all as the, uh, the elders of the bicycle community. Yeah. The, the mountain well, I'm glad community. you guys did because there's a, this Mossy P group that's got a lot of their members who didn't. And still don't. See, and that's what I'm getting at is like, you say like, you know, keep, uh, or put this message out to the, to the mountain bikers and, you know, hold the city accountable, which I agree. I'm totally with you, right? Also, like being a little more, I wouldn't call it pessimistic, but um, real, I guess. is like, there's so many people that ride and that just don't. They don't care. They don't care. Or, like, or that won't, that just don't know, dude. I think right. there's a lot of, of just like, I didn't know, you know, like right. no, exactly. most people don't even know that there is a mountain bike association. Right. They just have a mountain bike and they go out there, they know there's trails right. and they ride and, and they do and the thing. I don't know if that's is, a shop's fault. Cause I don't think everybody's buying bikes at shops anymore. I think, you know, with all the online stuff, I'm seeing lots of people on YTs and all that stuff. So I know they're ordering their bikes. They're not buying them through a shop. Um, I, well, I'm not trying to like point fingers or anything. I'm just like, for the people that do know, right? And this is kind of what, one of the things I want to do with this podcast or one of the hopes is that um, like education, help help each other out, right. get conversations going, you know? And, and hopefully someone who listens to this is like, oh shit, I didn't know there was a, a mountain bike association that maybe doesn't have time. Right. So like, I guess what I'm getting at is can uh, people like donate instead of like time, like maybe donate money to an organization that yes, will that, do this. That's for one them. thing I, I never got to was saying how, how I didn't like the puzzler being our main fundraiser. Shouldn't be. We should have people writing us checks. There's when I see someone writing a $6,000 or $16,000, fully decked out e-bike or pimped out Ibis full gold eagle on it. And the dude's hundred pounds overweight and he's got $500 of clothing on. Why is that guy not writing us a check for 500 bucks a year? Maybe he doesn't know. That's my point. Yeah. You know, like, uh, so, and so how do we reach those people? How do we reach them? They know about the puzzler. They know the puzzler is the BNBA raising money. Do they though? I don't know. I you mean, know? I did my best to like on the announcements and stuff, and we have it on the poster that it's hosted by the BNBA, and maybe it's just not enough. And now, now this year we we do have the BNBA tent that we're setting up at all our events, so people are always asking, and so we're telling we. I say we. I, I was with them. I, I'm not part of it anymore. I've resigned. I'm trying to like move on, move on and let yeah, these yeah. guys. They, they and they they really. I I I felt like if anything. I was just an idea man. I'm the guy with the ideas. And I would listen to these podcasts and go visit these other areas and meet all these guys who are involved in other mountain bike organizations. And I, I had all these great ideas that I would bring back. And some, some of these ideas, people are going to be like, wow, how are we going to do that? And they're starting to see it now. And I think that with, so we just got the, the Mossy P just got in KVIA or something with what's going on at Billy Rogers Royal. So if you're if you're a new school mountain biker, full dropper post, one sixty travel guy, and you're out there with pads, you ride if you ride with knee pads, you need to join Mossy P. If you're how do you spell it? M A S. 
EP. Okay. More Action Sports El Paso. They're on Facebook. Don't know if they have a website yet. Um, if you and and you need to join the BNBA, you need to be active in Moss EP, but you need to join the BNBA also. And you should consider joining Imba. I'm not an Imba member anymore, but I'm a member of the Crested Butte Mountain Bike Association. I need to renew my BNBA. I said I wouldn't, but I, I'm going to. And I need to become, I, I, there's a group in Moab that I'm going to get involved with, um, Trail Mix. They do all, they do winter stuff with snow and things like that too. So there are these organizations that people can either donate to or become a member of with, with like a minimal yeah, yeah BMA is like twenty or twenty five bucks. Right, yeah. right, right. And so that money will go towards their like. Where does that go? So that that goes into operating costs mostly. Um, it's not we don't have enough members yet to have hired staff, but I'm pushing them hard to get some hired staff. They really need a, an ED and an executive director. They need somebody that's going to be writing grants at least half the day. Well, well, like you said, okay, so memberships, right? And then, um, and then the, the puzzler being like the number one BNBA right. fundraiser. Do those, where do those funds go? What are they used on? So right now they're sitting in the bank. Uh-huh. Um, but they just bought a bunch of tables for the conference center at the state park. Um, they we've spent some money on self promo, website fees, yeah, uh, Mailchimp, all that stuff. Um, so operating costs, that's what they're spending money on right now. Um, operating costs of being beer are almost, they're sitting around like a couple thousand a year. Uh-huh. Um, but they're sitting on a lot of money and I'm, I made a motion for $2,000 to go to Mossy P for their project in the, the Arroyo. Yeah. So they would have some seed money and they, totally. they approved that. Very cool. And then the last motion I made was for $10,000 for, um, us to help the city hire a permanent staff member because I think that if we were to actually pay for it, us, Frontier Land Alliance, maybe Lost Dog Chain Breakers come up with five grand or something, Moss EP come up with another five grand, Friends of the Franklins come up with five grand, you got 40, 50 grand for a salary for somebody who's experienced in trail building and trail maintenance to manage that area out at Lost Dog and then maybe go into the Palisades, Billy Rogers, Royal area and start working that area too. Maybe yeah. have a rotation kind like of a thing. a full-time job yeah. to and actually, then if it's yeah. then if it, and they, and they answer to us, the BNBA, the BNBA gives them tasks and all that stuff. And, and, and they answer to them and, and the success, if that, if that's successful, then the city has to pick up the tab. I wonder, I agree with that. Like there's this place, right? Um, in Frisco, Colorado, and Frisco quite well. Frisco's awesome. So Frisco has, I think they pay these two dudes. They definitely at least have at least one dude, but I think it's... Crestview Mountain Bike Association has several dudes working full-time during the summer. Right. And so what I'm saying is like these guys, they they keep this bike park in the middle of Frisco, which know, is it's huge. Sick. It's big. It's beautiful. It's monstrous. It's on the way up to Breck on the left. Yeah, it's it's really, it's like one of these skills parks where yeah. you have like these jumps Scary and stuff. Looking. But they've got like, you know. They got progression. They yeah, got it all. Like yeah. something for like Strider kids yep. all the mm-hmm. way up to pro level riders yep. and everything in between. Do everything yep. in between. And, and, or just have fun, man. Just jumping a bike is yeah. fun, period. 
So they got those guys working full time on that. Yeah. During and the they, summer. And yeah. And so, and so there's like, I, I, I'm with it, right? I'm with you on the, have the, the, the position. Right. Full time for like one or two dudes or whatever. And, and it can be done because Briscoe's doing it, for example. Also, and probably in my opinion, more importantly, uh, educating, and this may be something that BNBA I would imagine could do. Um, and maybe I need to be a part of the BNBA and and you know whatever. But I educating these new mountain bikers that don't know. Yeah, that's you know we we got that. that we got that education because we grew up at the bike shop. Right. We were just BMX kids that that would you know that would loiter at the shop and read all the magazines and and you know save our pennies and buy whatever we could for our bikes that were breaking all the time. But then we eventually like, again, thanks to, to Mike and having an open yeah, you mind. Started, you started dude, reading, we started, started reading mountain bike actions. We started, BMX actions. Yeah. We started like, we just picked on, picked up on things and they, Hey, you want to try mountain biking? And they loaned us a rental bike and went out and blah, blah, blah. But they yeah. took us under a wing and we had that education, yeah. that apprenticeship yep. almost, you know? And then I feel like that is lost these days. Or at least it's it's. Yeah. It, I don't see it much. You know, you know, see, but it's happening. It's happening I over so. at the uh, podium. Those guys have some young guys working there, so, and, and I know Mosco is over here at uh, at um, Shock Lab. He's got some young guys working for him. So, so they're working and they're in there for sure. Um, and there's uh, like oh, Rob over owner of Crazy Cat. Um, he's got these kids like doing these little apprenticeship kind of things, like these some program, I don't know, something like that. So all these kids in there, and I thought that was rad, yeah, man. That's cool. That, yeah, you know, like the next generation, but it has. But there are so many people writing now; it's a ridiculous amount of people yeah. writing, and just like, how do we get like the like the the etiquette? You know, the the what I'm getting at is like, you can have these one or two dudes like taking care of the trails, but we should all be taking care of the yeah. trails. Simply put, right? Right. So, can the BMBA or what? You know what? Can that be some sort of mission or like, how does, how does that education go down? I mean, and you're an educator, like, you know, you have more experience on, on that side of things and like, uh, you know, that, that's kind of what I see. It's with social media. It's a, it's a little easier, but harder at the same time. Um, and I think that's the only, only way we can really do it right now. And then the state parks new, um, center, that's a great place also. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of information, but you know, you have to go in there and read that stuff. And like they've they got a new sign in Billy Rogers Arroyo that's got ten no's on it. Know this, know that, know that. And I was just like, Wow, that's like Nancy Reagan. Just say no, you know, and, and I put that on social media and Linda Bellarde, who's the chair of the BNBA right now, she came back with me and was pretty snappy and and we we've had some snappy conversations with each other. I love Linda. She's awesome. She is great. Yeah. And and I, awesome. I know and I was like, what can we do? Where's the positive messaging? That's you what know, I'm saying, like, man. Like yeah. stay on the trail, right? Yield for other riders. And those have always been the Emba rules. But it's like in Moab, where I've seen people ride right past the sign on their moto that says no moto. Or they're off the trail and they're roosting in the desert. And there's a sign over there about staying on the trail to not damage the cryptobiotic soil and all that stuff. And these guys don't give a damn. And so you're going to deal with that. Yeah. But it's like you said, if the trails are signed for direction and maps and all that stuff, 99% of your users stay on it and you'll Absolutely. see a lot of your problems disappear. Yeah. So. Like BNBAs, you say they're sitting on all this money. And, and I, 
for years and years, man. I've been, you know, part of the BNBA, mm-hmm. part of Imba, but I just never, I guess I never thought about like, what are they really, what are they doing? They, they put on events and that's cool and they yeah. raise money. Where's the money go? Where's the money yeah. go? What are we, what are yeah, we, we doing? Don't, so we donate a lot to the state park every year for the race. Totally. Yeah. So like one year, I think we gave them like seven grand. Um, we, we're waiting on people to come to us with projects. Yeah. They are. There, I, and I've always told people, hey, well, where's your project? What do you got? We yeah. got money. What do you got? Come to us. Make a motion. Yeah. Um, and like Rob Rohrbach from Mossy P is now on the BNBA board also. Good. And uh, I love Rob. Rob is. Rob's a shit. Yeah. He is a really strong rider and loves mountain biking. And he loves to get just crazy big air and do stupid stuff. And uh, he. Um, He's and he's a smart dude, man. He's a geology professor and he's no dummy. And you go ride with him and you're gonna stop and look at little things in the rocks and stuff. So it's called it's dope. Being a science cool, being a science teacher, I appreciate that. And uh he um he's he he supported me in some of my motions that I made that got shot down. Um so I think you'll you'll you're gonna see some changes within the BNBA here soon. You're seeing them now. Um and one of the things that that I was pushing for and I set them, I made a list of them and they got together and refined that list. And that's committees because we always have people coming to us. Hey, um, if you need help with anything, let me know. I'm like, well, I'd be like, well, what do you do? You know, like, well, I'd love to make some signs. I'm like, well, we need uh, either a laser or water jet cut steel signs that we can bury into the ground and they won't, they won't dry rot, and no one's going to want to run them over because they're going to be too steely and big, you know. And we're going to put them five feet down in the ground with concrete, you know, that kind of thing. And they're like, "Oh no, no, I'm going to make a little wooden sign and paint on it, kind of like we did with Spotted Cow and Mad Cow and all that back in the day." And those signs are somewhere. I don't. That's all. I think there's one inside the roundhouse. But um, we definitely need we 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 have people that want to do stuff, but they they may have some skills that we don't know about. They may have some skills that they don't really know they have. And so these committees that they've formed are going to be a way to attract members to become more active within the club. So, you know, a membership committee, okay? Membership committee guys are going to show up for every event and they're going to be at the table getting people signed up. That's what a membership committee is going to be. And then the guy in charge of membership committee is going to be the one that you know, make sure that our database is all set up and that the people who join EMBA that automatically join the BNBA when you join EMBA are integrated into our mailing list and things like that. We need a committee of digital warriors that are going to take care of our website and our, who are going to write articles for our MailChimp mailings and for our blog and all that stuff. I was doing all that stuff. And it's hard work and it takes yeah, time. Yeah. yeah. And it and I think, busy. I think they need to be compensated. And I think they can. I mean, it's like pay me thirty bucks for an article. And I'll write you three articles. And that's ninety bucks. You know? And I'll put it on the MailChimp and get it out there. But to do it for free when I have a side gig and school, you know, and I'm like planning my I've got to make sure I'm ready for my next trip to go visit my kiddo up in Salt Lake, which is a you know 14 hour drive. Now tend to Moab and and chill for a little while. But, but uh, yeah, get yours. I'm looking forward to, to my last drive to Utah from here. Yeah, man. although I'm coming back down in October for my buddy Shell's wedding in Silver City. 
But um, yeah, I, you know, people are out there and they want to do stuff. And I think the Mossy P guys have done a good job of um, farming the workout to some of their guys. So, like I said, if you're if you're, I I would say if you own a mountain bike that costs more than three thousand dollars, you should be a member of both clubs. Well, if you know if you're a mountain biker, period, and if you can, you got the extra money to spare, like be a member because you said this money goes there, and then uh, that gives you like being a member gives you a voice, yeah, officially, right. Yep. It does. Exactly. Um, you get to vote and all that other right, stuff. Right. So totally. not that that's happened very well in the past, but it, I'm sure that's gonna change. Okay. So we well, we had we did a terrible job of, of letting our members know when there was an election for board members. And what we do, we just find somebody we thought should be on the board, bring them to a meeting and then do the vote as a board. Hmm. You know, we really need to have our members start to voting to vote on those people. Absolutely, man. So and I think you'll see that. You'll see that happen here real soon. And it, because there's the people that are on the board, there's two of them that are on several other boards around town. Um, so it's, it's going to improve. And I, I have high hopes for mountain biking here in El Paso. I don't see the city really stepping up their game and, and getting their stuff together anytime soon at all. But I think that with what is going on right now with the, the two associations that we have, and then the neighborhood associations that have concerns and want to see improvements for their kiddos that go out there and shred, or you know, even the ones that are that the, the guys are calling Kern Place Karen Place because of the moms <laughs> that are like want to get rid of the jumps because they're scared or whatever. I think that's hilarious. But uh, it's you know, even them, Karen even that they, they they can see they they need to see that hey man, mountain bike is way more better than you know your kid heading up to some dude's house and smoking weed and whatever in the basement. And they can smoke weed on the trail. <laughs> right, exactly. That's what we mountain bikers do, right? But um, uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I've, I've really, I'm looking forward to leaving El Paso and seeing what happens from a distance. You know, I'm, I, yeah. and I, I, I know something great is going to happen. There's so much potential here. There always has been. Yeah. And I think uh, it's more obvious now than ever. Well, I mean, I, 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 it's funny too, because in the in the nineties, I was in college in Tennessee, in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I was working at a shop, and we started the Appalachian Mountain Bike Club, and we did a little bit. We did like outreach and did some trail maintenance stuff like that. We were small, 10, 15 people, right? Holy crap! Knoxville is like a mecca. There's Windrock Downhill Park now, where they had a they either had a World Cup or a national race. Neko Malali started it. He owns the park. He's no a idea. World Cup downhiller. Sick. Yeah. And they've expanded all these other trail networks. And people are going, like, if you live on the east area, you're going to DuPont, Pisgah area, Asheville, yeah, yeah. and Knoxville. And I'm really bummed because my son and I are going back to North Carolina this summer. And we're not going to make it to Knoxville. So uh-huh. I told him, I said, okay, next summer we're going to drive and we're going to hit Arkansas, Knoxville, back into Pisgah again. Yeah, sick. And we'll go visit his grandparents in South Carolina. Yeah, that's so. rain out there. It's really nice. Uh, being when I had that when I, we were living in Florida, uh, Tallahassee area, Panhandle. Um, yeah, Pisgah, Pisgah, Pisgah. Everybody's yeah. all about Pisgah. And then we rode. We took a family trip to Asheville, just like a little weekend getaway. Asheville psycho now, dude. It was the traffic's so, terrible. So fun. So, yeah. so fun. I, wor- I worked in Pisgah at, at a summer camp, and the guy who helped run the camp, the, one of the family members, now lives in Ojo Caliente um, in uh, New Mexico. 
And he's he's like, it's nuts. The traffic's crazy. He says, yeah. if you go there, go during the week. And so we got an RV rental from Monday to Friday. <laughs> We're not going to do the weekend. I, I feel like, I, I really do feel like, and I'm seeing it after being gone, you know, few years, four years in Florida. And then after we married, we moved to Florida. So right. my wife could become a nurse. Anyway, we came back and, uh, you know, when you're gone, when you don't see someone for a long time, you mm-hmm. kind of see the changes like the city. I yeah. didn't see it for a little while. And, and then went out to the trails and was like, what the yeah, fuck? Right. Like so, like Tons new trails. the growth of the mountain biking in El Paso. Yeah. And, uh, oh, it's insane. It's yeah. Along with, along with other things too, like downtown and all this cool. Mm-hmm. So you see the progression or I saw the progression and, uh, in a bit, like a big chunk of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's happening. And I feel like this is a time where we still have, like, it's still moldable, you know, right. we could, we could, there's time to not fuck it up. Right. Exactly. Um, exactly. That's and, a good point. And become something that's well-structured and, and flows and has, you know, it's, it's well-balanced and all this. And on the on the flip side, you know, we can fuck it up to where like the mountain just gets overrun by all these rebel trails, like what you're right. saying, rake and scratch or whatever, what you call rake them, and ride. rake and rides, and which is not cool. Ride the trails that are designated yeah. trails, oh, the, please. The, do not the other, fuck issue, up yeah, the, the other issue is these ride arounds that are ride arounds are everywhere. Now. Oh yeah, that's ridiculous. threading the trails. I mean, that's a whole different yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. But and I'm, I'm going to leave that for someone else to yeah. discuss. Someone from the BMBA <laughs> that you'll bring in here. So, oh, man. And I, I know we're 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 pressed for time here. Yeah. But uh, I and I know you want to talk about what I was doing over at Irvin with the after school bike program. I'm gonna I'm gonna have my buddy Mario, who will enjoy being here because he's a musician too. Yeah, yeah. I got and, the little uh, studio set he's, up. He's he's a a connoisseur of Jap touring bikes. Yes. And has quite a few. They're pretty tight. Um, he loves hitting a Scotterte swap and getting parts and stuff there. <laughs> Um, I'm gonna I'm Sweet. gonna send him to you. Yeah, my for number, your next man. podcast, and he can talk about Irvin Bike Shop, which has been a load of fun. We haven't reached a lot of kids, but the kids we have reached has been very rewarding. It's an after school program. Yep. After school bike shop at Irvin High School, teaching kids how to wrench on bikes. District. Yeah, yeah. So, dude, yeah, looking it's forward to it. Dave, so. thanks for your time, man. It was sick to just sit yeah, down here in the shop. It's been and really great. Shoot the shit. And it, the sound, I'm still blown away by the sound on these days. <laughs> freaking awesome. But uh, I can't wait. I, I do hope you can get it together. It's probably be a two-parter. But um, yeah, a huge podcast fan. I love them. And I hope yours does really well. Thank you. Um, and I hope you get something out really quick in the next month or so. And uh, I may just throw this out there. Fuck it. Yeah, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't but uh, yeah, and I, I'm going to tell you, I'm. People ask me, are you going to miss El Paso? I'm like, damn straight, I'm going to miss El Paso. Where I live, I have like not really trails behind my house, but I got this like really great place to to train and just get suit, test stuff, you know, my bags and stuff, and just to make sure stuff is safe. You live in a cool spot. Yeah. I, uh, Lily rode back there and you, yeah. you gave her some, you guys talked about that that area. I'd there's never, a, there's I, a Leitner Palmas uh, freaking ski lift up there with, never a, been. with an eight person gondola. Dude, I've never been. There's yeah. so much about El Paso that I know and I love and, and like I, I try to spread like, oh yeah, the mountain and the trails and yeah. the outside and the Rio Bosque yeah. and the this and the that and like mountain biking, mountain yeah. biking, like scream it from the and top. I'm, I'm, I'm going to recommend, I, I hate to say it, I'm going to say it now though. I'll recommend you bringing in um, 
Judy Ackman and uh, Janae from uh, Frontier Judy. Land Alliance. I've met her before, yeah. Because they're up there in my neighborhood all the time. They love that area for some reason. To me, it's just this dirty, ratted out place. I just go and freaking, I don't mind skidding up there, you know? It's like, I don't yeah. freaking lay a patch on the trail. I don't care. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is like know? the other hand of it is I, there's so much that I'm still discovering, dude. And yeah. like by talking to people like you and just like, so I think I, I think she, mind, I right? think you should trap Judy and Janae and bring them in here and ask yeah. them. Yeah. Like, so I hear that the, the guys from the mountain bike club are thinking about building a bike park on that Napland. So oh, just yeah. see what they say. It'd be oh, hilarious. Man. But yeah, I mean, we'll and see. they I, they mean well. They're a little in over their heads, but they're they're good people and and they know that area really well. Um, and they're promoting it and getting people up there to hike and stuff. But like, they don't hike nearly as far as I do. I go all the way up to that ski lift, and it's in state parkland. Well, it passes so the great. shit. Yeah, and we have a lot of. I'm gonna potential. I'm gonna miss the low riders. <laughs> I'm gonna miss the the, the taquerias oh, yeah. and the the I it, what one thing that that, I, that cracks me up is like when I drive over I, I take the freeway down and or the 54 to the freeway and hop on cotton and there's that ferreteria there you know it's all like and that's so Mexico you know American hardware stores you got the wheelbarrows out front the ferreterias it's the brooms and shovels they're all out front you know and this one over there on cotton's got it all. I, you know, the art here in El Paso is fantastic. I was exposed to that through uh, oh, yeah, the Selena Solis, who's a, a district state district judge here that I dated for a while. Um, she turned me on to a lot of that. Um, got to meet a lot of the great artists, a fellow school teacher, Gaspar Enriquez, who did the cholos and stuff that were in the uh, Museum of Art here. Um, I hope to have a lot of you know, local artists on here. Man. Yeah, like, it, yeah. It, you have s- such a great opportunity. Um, El Paso is, is a, uh, the, this is the dumbest thing for me to do is to leave El Paso and try to grow Nuke Sunrise because if there's any place to have like cheap labor and all that other stuff, <laughs> it's El Paso and I'm not going to get it up there. I'm going to have to like, you know, figure out something and find some sew houses in like Seattle or whatever to do my work. But well, um, I get it, man. You're going to yeah. Utah and best of luck out there. I and got a lot of what? love for you and a lot of respect for you, brother. Uh, uh, so my, my girlfriend's got a place on two acres. She's got a little shed in the back with a bedroom in it. The basement's got a, a bed in there. Where I'm going to be working in the basement. But uh, we got space for you guys. Sick. So I'll come visit. on up. We, hey, two kids and a come dog. On oh, you better be ready for the party, man. Right? <laughs> that, that, we're, we're, we've had it. I've been up there when she's already had that. The ping there, pong so. pizza party. Yeah. You know, that's a... That's the name of this podcast, by the way, is the Ping Pong Pizza Ping Party. Ping Pong Pizza Party. Yeah. I like it. I like it. <laughs> so, yeah. It, I, and you've got uh, a, a lot of different... Yeah, there's so many people. I mean, you got to get Don on here when he comes back into town again. He'll be back. I'm, I'm sure open, dude. I'm open. So I'm just a, you know, I'm a dirt rat, just like so many of us and, uh, that just love the mountain and and I just want to shoot the shit with people yeah. to try to get the word out and educate and learn and listen and just share and connect, really. There's, it's basically yep. it, dude. That's what the podcast is all about. Yes, sir. All Love right, you. Man. All Love right, you man. too, brother. All right. Peace. Thanks. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Fuck yeah.